dude, this is dope. Thank you so much for doing this. Yeah, I, thanks for having me. I'm, I'm excited because I feel like a lot of my audience probably also tunes into the stuff you've created and the advice you've given out there. And I always just, you know, I've, I've seen pictures. We've talked a ton on podcasts. I didn't really understand how, like, this is probably one of the cooler setups I've seen in, in, the, in this space. Uh, anyone's never been here. Andrew's spot here is, it's got this, you said it was a furniture retail or a showroom? Yeah, both buildings were furniture showroom, and it has a mezzanine, that's this L here, used to be a U down the left side as well, and then the middle was just these half walls that we just demolished Demol all that. This place is so fucking cool. I love the layout of it. I love the street frontage, and I love the two separate buildings. And so if you would, you know, for anyone's, again, I, I'm, for anyone listening, you know, with these shoot the shits, I'm not always trying to fucking do a full background interview. I want to just have a really good discussion with somebody that I respect in the industry. Talk to everyone just a real quick history of how you came into two buildings and then into two brands. Like, give, it, give me the two-minute wrap-up. Yeah, so about 10 years ago, I decided that I wanted to open up a gym. I had already started CrossFit. My goal, I was living an hour down south in Fort Lauderdale, was I'm just going to get as much coaching experience as I can and hopefully open up a small boutique gym. Were you at another someone else's gym then? So I was actually living in London. Okay. Decided that gave me some time to Did kind of step away. There? No, man, we're going, to, we're going back now. So I, was, so I was a college baseball player, came out of college. I played one year of pro ball with the Red Sox organization. Then... Did two years of sales with Norwegian Cruise Line, just smiling and dialing, 150 phone calls a day. Pick up the black box a, and dial, motherfucker. Exactly, yeah. in a cubicle. I did well there, but I was like, this is not what I want to do. Yeah. My wife, who grew up traveling her whole life. Keep talking. I'm just going to turn down my headphones a little bit. Keep going. Yeah. She grew up traveling her whole life. About three months into me meeting her, she's like, I want to move to London with my best friend who has UK citizenship, dual citizenship. And I was like, I want to go too. <laughs> so we, we thought we were moving to London. It How ended long have you been being, married at that point? Oh, we were, we had just met three months ago. Oh no We just shit. were dating for three months. You're just dating and you're like, let's go do that. Yeah. Let's so, really test this relationship. Exactly. So we end up in <laughs> London. We didn't move there. We ended up living there until the money ran out, which ended up being about two and a half months. But that gave me a lot of time to really think and reflect on what did I want my next steps to be. And, you know, I, I had this experience in the sales job of like, I was good there, but I, it wasn't what I wanted to be doing. Yeah. So what was that thing that I wanted to dedicate my life to? And I was like, I spent all my life like on fitness, on training, on nutrition, just learning about that in my free time. So I was like, because let me- Because of baseball? Not necessarily. Just, just more, that was more of my interest. And, and it definitely helps me in baseball, sure. but it wasn't necessarily 100% because of that. So yeah, I just decided, okay, when I get back, I'm gonna get my level one. I'm gonna apply to every gym within a 50 mile radius, which ended up- being the three gyms at the opposite side of that radius, which there was a few days where I went to all three in the same day. From there, I was trying to convince my dad and my brother to get into CrossFit. And uh, they did. They tried it up here. They were living up here. And then my dad was like, well, how about if, if I find a real estate investment, yep. you, you move back home, you and your brother open up the gym. Yep. And he bought both buildings okay. thinking that he was going to rent this one out just to any tenant. We would just use the smaller building next door, the 4,000 square foot building. And then after about a year and a half, he was having trouble renting this because there's, there's a, this one's double the size, but it has the same amount of parking, which Got isn't it. a lot. Yeah. So it's, it's really tough to find a tenant in this building. And we were doing good in the one building. So we're like, screw it. Let's just go for the, the two buildings. And it was a tough, it was about 18 months to 
to two years of growing pains where it was not a good idea for us to expand. Was that with just one brand? That was one brand. That was yeah. CrossFit Palm Beach? CrossFit Palm Beach. That okay. was the original brand. So you had it in two locations. So what, was that so like you could run a 4 p.m. and a 4.30 over here? Like what, how did that work with two, lo- with two buildings for one company? Initially, the thought was, okay, we'll run a boot camp program. We'll launch some specialty classes. We'll run kids classes. And now we can run two classes simultaneously since we were filling up most of our classes over there. But looking back, it's, you're so naive doing that. And it really, like the boot camp program started and stopped in multiple times. And until we relaunched it as BeachFit with someone who had experience launching that type of program, and we really made it its own brand, that's when we had success with it. So that was over, I think over two years into expanding into the, the two buildings, uh, 2016, I believe. Okay. And then that's where things just took off. We created a really good interrelationship between the two brands where CrossFit Palm Beach was the main brand, but there was plenty of people that just were like, I'm a beach fitter. Like that's the thing. They didn't even really associate with the brand, but then you had a handful of people that associated with both and it was a great balance. So things really took off from there. I think we first hit 500 members between the two programs in March of 2018. That's when we first hit our like seven figure annual run rate and and have pretty much kept it ever since. So where, where does that sit today? So it's like, are you guys like every gym kind of hits their operating plateau kind of thing, right? And and you can, yeah, you can go up a little bit, but for the most part, you're going to find like kind of a sweet spot. Where is that for both models right now? In terms of memberships? Yeah, memberships. So they, they're hanging out right around 200 a piece and we've raised prices over the years. So we've come down from that 500 number, but our, our revenues are consistently about where they were at when, when we yeah, peaked. Less people, more money. Yeah. Yeah, very smart. You've got these two locations, and I started off gushing because I really do think this, I really fucking love the layout here. It's, and I'm looking at it, and obviously you have everything set up because you're having an event this weekend type scenario. But I got to imagine, you're a pretty neat and organized guy. I mean, this place is pretty, this place is very well organized. What does the flow of something like that, and for anyone, I'm going to put some footage and shit up. I'm going to have other footage, but like when you've got the mezzanine area, how does like something like that get activated when the floor down here is being activated? So for us, the mezzanine is now personal training okay. and extra work space, got it. but primarily 90% of like it's personal Like open gym, training. essentially? Open gym, Kid? exactly. Yeah. We could have someone up there during a class, but it is 90% or more personal PT. training. Are yeah. you guys a PT first or are you straight to class? We are PT first. Got it. There are, there's ways people can go straight to class, but we are pretty much PT first. And we found that that alignment really allows us, our focus is careers for coaches. Like one of our primary focuses is that. And I think that's very hard to do without PT. And then it's very hard to build successful PT without PT first. What is it? What's the ecosystem of, you know, and I know when you guys de-affiliated from CrossFit, what year? We did September 2020, our affiliate ran out. Okay. And just said, hey, we're not just, we're not renewing. We're standing on our own two legs. People know us as Fit Town. And is that when you changed the name to Fit Town Jupiter from CrossFit Palm Beach? So we we rebranded in May of 2020. And then that summer was, you know, the whole craziness with Greg Glassman. And, you know, going into May, that was already a year process for us of, you know, wanting to rebrand, redefining our values, redefining what this brand was going to be. And Fit Town for us is, is we want to have an impact on this local community, yeah. you know, the fitness of this local community. When that whole thing went down, it was like, you know what, we've already gone 90% of the way. Let's just cut the ties. And we just let it run out in September of that year. 
a lot of people have asked me since then. And I think I've kind of thought, would we ever go back? You know, would we do that? And it just feels like a crutch for us. It feels like grass is greener on the other side. And we've done so much work to define who we are. It just would be silly for us to go back. Talk A lot of people, you know, when they're coming up with that new naming convention, they're going to drop CrossFit, which by the way, I just found out recently, if you affiliate today, like are you signing your affiliate, you don't have to use CrossFit in your name anymore. Really? Yeah. Like, I, I don't know when they changed, maybe 2022 they changed that, whatever, but you don't, according to my my source, you no longer, they will, you can come up with whatever the fuck you want. It does not have to have CrossFit in it. Going to you, when you changed the Fit Town Jupiter, what was the unveiling of that information like? Because I think that's a lot of time. A lot of people's like, they finally figure out a name they want to run with. They get a designer to come up with something dope and they're excited about it. And it's like, how do I unveil this to the customers? How, and then explain why do I need to explain why? How do I get them to stop calling it CrossFit Palm Beach? Like, walk me through that experience. So ours came with the COVID shutdowns. We already knew that we wanted to do it. But then through the two-month shutdown of COVID, we were only shut down for two months. We said, this is the perfect time to put our focus into the brand and the content and relaunch with Fit Town. So for us, it was, it was multiple videos, blog posts, things like that, of really explaining the why behind it, podcasts. And, and what was that? Like, what was the substance of what you were telling the membership? The substance of that is, you know, we've, we've been evolving. We've been more than just CrossFit throughout the years. BeachFit's, you know, 50% of what we do, and, and it's not CrossFit, you know. It was more just, like, showing them the path we've already been on and why CrossFit no longer was the best representation of what we've already been doing, as opposed to saying we're going to be different tomorrow. Because I think when you are successful, you don't want to draw a line in the sand. You don't want to make people make that decision of feeling like they are giving something up. Sure. I think there's a lot of people that had that affinity to the brand where it was still hard for them to give up, give up. And maybe some people left because of that. I mean, we didn't have a ton that were vocal about that, but you just get the sense that certain people that was probably part of their decision of leaving, but we didn't see a major impact. COVID was obviously more of the impact than the rebranding. And then from here, it was, you know, cleaning up the look. We spent a lot of time on, in terms of upgrading the facility, new paint. We got cool uh, posters in the bathrooms that have the Fit Town logo and really inspiring quotes on them. So little touches throughout that would be like, oh, this is cool. Yeah. This is what I want to be a part of. They're sophisticating. Yeah. So I talk to people like you have the naming convention, which a lot of people change. And then like, then you have like the operating system or the, the methodology of it kind of scenario. So from a client facing perspective, it has a name and it has a, a you know, a, a workout style. Mm-hmm. Did the workout style change? Not really. And that, you know, through the years we've, we've had people tell us, oh, this isn't CrossFit enough. You know, if you ask me, beach fit is CrossFit, yeah. you know, everything, what is, yeah, it's constantly right. varied. Everything is constantly varied functional movements at high intensity. Yeah. I, I look at things from a more inclusive, optimistic perspective, instead of saying that's not yeah. CrossFit, but you know, obviously we've moved more right away from the competitive stuff. I love what you're doing with the tempo stuff. We work tempos in, yeah. and sometimes tempos show up in a Metcon setting and that doesn't happen yeah. in CrossFit. So we had already been doing those little touches uh, for quality days, things like that. And it, it wasn't anything that we had to shift in it. All that stuff had already been happening. And to me as a coach, if you've been in this long enough and you actually pay attention to what your clients are saying, you can't not evolve. If, you're, if your programming is a bell and you have a group of 50-year-old clients in your gym, you just know that that's not the best thing for them to be sure. doing. And yes, you can modify it. Yes, you can give them the stimulus. But if you had that person as a personal training client, that would not be what you program for yeah. them. 
And for everyone just listening, uh, Isabel is the name of a workout where you do 30 snatches, power snatches from the floor, essentially, for time. Right. Yeah. Under, you know, three, four minutes for most sure. people. That evolution, to me, should, should be happening in all gyms. Otherwise, you're just, you're, you're staying true to the religion of what the cr- CrossFit is, as opposed to, you know, what am I actually seeing and experiencing with my coaching with these individuals, and how can I get the best for them. Let me know if you resonate with this thought. I, you know, I bump into, you know, I'll throw words around with guys who I respect a ton, uh, you know, like Ackerman or like Fern and like, again, and they're, they're the CrossFit guard. They, they work there and, and we, uh, I respect the fuck out of those guys, but we have maybe have differences of, of methodology stuff sometimes. And the thing I think of is like CrossFit was like iPhone one. It was amazing. Like the 1.0 was perfect. And I still think like the basis is still absolutely perfect. I love what it is. However, everything has to evolve, has to sophisticate over time. And CrossFit, even though it was like the most amazing, holy shit, this is what we've all been missing, to think that it doesn't have to evolve, it, it, in my head, it's just like, who the fuck do you think you are that like you could just be like, nope, the doctrine that, you know, it'd be like the old, it's like the old testament to it. It's like, no, there's nothing wrong with it. It's absolutely perfect the way it is. We're never going to alter it. Instead of accepting like, okay, maybe we could explain high intensity and maybe it's really not high intensity. It should be relative intensity. Maybe we should change a word here. Maybe we should talk about tempo a little bit more. Have you, you know, how do you feel about the way you installed CrossFit as like things was like a software, the 1.0 version. How does it look now? Like you said, some people are leaving because it's not CrossFit enough. Walk me through exactly what you are or are not doing that would make somebody feel that way. Yeah, I think it's, it's you know, in any given week, having two to three days, two to four days that don't look like your traditional triplet or, you know, and, and what's interesting about it is CrossFit is skewed in the client's mind already. CrossFit skewed by where someone expo- got Heard exposed it, to CrossFit, yeah. right? Whether it be the games or whether they started a, a gym that was more competitive or they just have friends that are more hardcore. So when you think about like the level one and what they teach, like a heavy day is a good example. Most CrossFitters would go, that's not CrossFit enough if they experience a true heavy day because they don't understand the methodology, you know, or they, they do a day that is 10 by 100 meter sprints and that's the, it for the whole day, most CrossFitters would go, that's not CrossFit enough. Now, that's not the direction we go because for us, we want everyone to feel like they get their money's worth every day. And that's not about destroying them, but that's really about filling the hour, right? Supersets would be a good example. We do a lot of supersets. We do a lot of tempo stuff. Our supersets are often a key lift and an accessory lift, an accessory lift that you would never see in a CrossFit competition or a CrossFit.com. We know the benefits of going slow, right? We're big fans of Marcus Philly, functional bodybuilding. So um, not just the tempo side, but how he approaches pacing workouts. And aerobic capacity is another thing is aerobic capacity talks about the benefits of going slow at times, building that engine, sitting at more of an aerobic threshold versus a lactic threshold. And in order to do that, you have to be comfortable sitting between, you know, for me and you at our age, 130 to 150 beats per minute. Yeah. So we set up workouts where people will be either holding a pace or increasing pace each round. That's not something you traditionally see in a CrossFit setting. So there's lots of different ways that we approach it. We try to get super creative with it. We want every week to look and feel different because that, that provides opportunities for learning. I mentioned Chris Hinshaw. I think he's one of the best at it. 
And if you go through his one-day aerobic capacity, he does stuff in that course that don't, doesn't look like CrossFit. One of his workouts is it's a plate hops right into a, like a 10-second max calorie row, trying to get peak sure, calories yeah. per hour, and then recovery air squats before your next round. And he's teaching you how to hit. How to catch like, your breath while moving right. kind of scenario. You're priming the fast twitch muscles yeah. on the plate hops. Then you're hitting that top end on the row. And then you're learning how to recover without resting. Yeah. Right. Which is a key part of this is how do you start to, to get rid of that lactic yeah. that's building up. Active recovery. And yeah. active recovery. So like, yeah, it's, it's funny that we've been called not CrossFit. I just am looking for creative ways to get people better and to give them a new feel that they can learn and grow from. And that gets me psyched up as a coach each time because I still do coach and I'm still part of our programming and things like that. Yeah, it's it's so interesting because, again, I always talk about like the ingredients and the recipes. The ingredients are going to, we're all going to be using them. And I, I feel, again, a lot of people think like every micro gym, independently owned strength and conditioning, CrossFit affiliates, like already has all the same ingredients for the most part. I think there's even more. Like I drop into a shitty LA fitness, not one functional piece of like not one piece of rogue equipment like everything's still hammer I'm like Jesus how is this place still in business like how is that I like most of my the global gyms I've gone in are now decked out with either Sorenex or rogue or like in functional fitness equipment going that way with all the gyms using similar ingredients and now their programming their recipe model is just going to have very little bit of differences i think it's gonna be harder for the for those who are like oh no 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 that's not crossfit what i do is crossfit they're like they have the same things you have like and their workouts are like hard too and they're an hour like they're gonna pick like the, the biggest most bland characteristics and it's it's going to allow i think guys like you and what you know you see what uh nc fits doing they're coming up with all different kinds of class like training styles using the exact same fucking ingredients just different recipes and i think the definition of crossfit is going to really fall by the wayside of it's not a particular training style it is the elements that all training styles embody very much like you were saying like it is beach fit is crossfit orange theory is crossfit metabolic is cross like everything is that one definition that's the one thing they they did so well they created a definition that none of us are ever going to be able to escape we're all going to have to give our the nod like yeah i am doing constantly varied functional movements at you know at high intensity like you have to give that nod and so that's where like when clients say it's not CrossFit, I think we're, I think those days are soon to be over where CrossFit is this one type. I think so many of us are cutting up the styles of what we do. Well, functional bodybuilding is technically CrossFit. Like tempo training is technically CrossFit. So it's going to be, uh, at some point, I think we're all going to be at a much better place because we just have our own style and no longer is CrossFit going to be labeled as this one specific thing. You're going to be like, that's a good gym. Like they, they take care of me. These workouts are sustainable. I can come here five days a week and not fucking, you know, be dead with crazy doms or it's not, it's dirty. And I fucking hurt afterwards. They make me do this and that, like, that's where I think that's going. I agree. I, and I agree with your statement. You know, we could get into semantics, but I agree. Like I think of it the same way. Orange theory, metabolic, those are versions of CrossFit and, and maybe not the bread and butter version, but they have more similarities than they have differences to it. So yeah. Where, how, how old are you? 35. 35. Okay. I'm 36. So we're right there. How, and you got into CrossFit when? 11 years ago. I think 2011 ended to okay. 2010, early 2011. How has your own interest in training and type of training changed over the years? And when did it make, have its biggest change or has it been pretty consistent since you started in 2011? It's been fairly consistent in that I have a lot of self-awareness to understand that I thrive in the group class. Yep. 
And I like to dabble with stuff on my own. Right now, that's the knees over toes stuff. Yeah, yeah. That. I see you're, you're into some of that as well. But that's also because I play soccer. And I'm like, I want to bulletproof myself for a sport that doesn't look like what we do in here. Yeah, I mean, I had the, 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 the time frame where I was more into the competitive side and doing local competitions. I was never really good enough to, to be doing it at any type of elite level. But yeah, just it's, it's for me, it, co- it keeps coming back to the group class. And it's, it shifted from getting too caught up in the performance side to shifting now of how does this fuel the 23 hours of my day? Like my focus is, is business and family. So I want this to make me better there. And I can't really, I mean, there was a time where fitness was placed over business, even though we, we were doing you know, well, yeah, doing decently well and putting our time and energy here. I was still focused on that and I would make sacrifices that looked more skewed towards the fitness side as opposed to, you know, the business or the family side. Is that like spending time doing a thing with my shoulders and ankles so that I could snatch better for the purposes of just snatching better? Like that kind of a thing? Exactly. And now, I mean, I, so I did a competition pretty early on where I herniated a disc in my back and I've pretty much dealt with that throughout. So now it's funny, we had a competition this morning. I hopped in with one of our members who needed a partner last minute. The, the joke with our coaching team is like, oh, Andrew just sandbags all throughout the year. And then when it comes time to do a competition, he Turns hits a big on. number. And I threw on a belt today, which I never really do, because if I'm going to max, I'm going to throw on a belt yeah. and hit a, hit a decent number in a complex. So what you uh, end up hitting? It was 275 for a, a clean front squat jerk oh, complex. Oh, nice. Yeah. Which, isn't really near some of my be- best numbers, but like I can hit that on just Considering like Considering you're not day. fucking with it on a regular, you're not training for it. Right, but I'll hit, I'll hit low 200s. I mean, if it's a back squat, I'll hit mid, yep. mid 300s in, in a normal week. But, you know, there's plenty of guys that are ahead of me and I'm fine letting yeah, yeah, people yeah. just like, I don't care with that. I want to feel really good and, 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 and feel strong and feel capable, but it's, I can't get, I don't want to ever be out of commission because of my back. It's yeah. just no longer worth it to me. Yeah, it, it, that's the thing that's always that got really interesting to me is that, and I couldn't pinpoint it the moment. I mean, there were things I, in 2014 I was turning off with CrossFit when I was at CrossFit South and I didn't like the RX or this or whatever. It was hard for me to really identify when did my own, just like my interest change. Like I wanted to be so good at overhead squatting and snatching for so long. I was seeing a physical therapist. I had this like SI, this shoulder impingement syndrome, but I would shrug crazy and compensate my left. So every overhead squat, like my bar was like this. And I was, I mean, PT, needling. I mean, I was doing fucking everything to fix that one fucking thing just so I could overhead squat and snatch more. And then at some point it went like, I really just want to do the fitness I want to do. I, I'm, you know, I go to the gym now. I'll be talking to some kids that are there for class and I'm doing open gym. And I'm like, man, I don't want to do this fucking workout. This is gonna be so bad. I'm like, why? Why do you, why, why, do you really feel that way? You're just saying it like jokingly because it's a hard workout. He's like, no, I just literally don't want to do this. I'm like, isn't that kind of a fucked up place to be? Like, really a fucked up, like, fit, like it's fun. It's like that hour they, like, there should be nothing where you're like, that's going to be hard, but I really want to do that hard thing. And that's, I think that's where I started to just veer away because I started getting into things like, I don't actually want an overhead squat. I'm not like, I've never thought that an overhead squat's going to put uh, lower body fat on me, better looking abs, better looking biceps. I just never thought any of that. I just thought it's going to make me better at snatching. And snatching is the number I need to have in case Dave Castro rolls the dice and it fucking comes up in an open or something. Like, oh, that's kind of silly. Why don't I just do whatever the fuck I actually want to do? And guess what? 
I work out more. I enjoy it. I never walk out of the gym like, man, that fucking like that kill. Like, I don't want to do that. It's like I'm always looking forward to going because it's only the fucking things I want to do. I was talking to the Uber driver. He was like, he um, he was asking what I was doing. He's like, oh, I just can't work out. I just don't like going to the gym. I'm like, then don't. Like, what do you like doing? You have a dog? He's like, yeah. I'm like, do you like walking your dog? I'm like, then fucking just walk your dog, old man. Like, just fucking, you don't have to go and force yourself in there. Do you find you, clients, again, when they first get into Fit Town or Beach Fit, are they in that mindset of like, I, you know, I'm in here and I don't want to be doing fitness. I'm doing it because it's like hygiene. I feel like I have to. Or do you find people get immersed in it and get that addictiveness that you and I and anyone else who's gotten addicted to any fitness methodology get? I think it's both. I think I think what you brought up is a really good uh just topic in general of like doing the things that you need to do to get better and knowing when you have to step out of your comfort zone when you sh- versus when you should stay in your comfort zone. You know, how old was the Uber driver? Oh, he's easily 55, 65, something like that. Right. So for him, you know, he's at a point in his life where maybe walking really sustains him <laughs> Perfect, you know, yeah. for the rest of his life, where if someone's 30 years old and saying that, yeah. you know, I'm going to push back on that a little bit and not necessarily. So they're getting my version of fitness, but like, just simply, I think about it as like, you know, everyone should be doing some strength training. I love walking. I think walking is highly underrated. So everybody should be walking regardless of whether you're sure. super fit or not. And then, yeah, we should be getting the heart rate up a little bit at times, you know, getting what we call cardio and, you know, so I think really basically I want someone doing those things. And, you know, our, our process now is we sit down with all new members for, for usually an hour and, and try to go really deep with them and, you know, for the people that don't like exercise, I just try to encourage them that I didn't really enjoy it either. You know, yeah. I was doing it at LA fitness after baseball. I lost that purpose of why I was training. And, you know, what started as a 60 minute workout, you know, four days a week started to look like more of a 30 minute workout three days a week. And it's like, all right, I've done enough. I'm going to go home now, you know, but in this atmosphere, it's just different. It's more fun. And, and then I had a moment too, in my training where I was so concerned about a result and I didn't understand pacing either. So that was part of it, but it was like, put so much emotional weight on like, well, how am I going to finish? How's this going to be? And then it's like, you know what? You can only give your best in that moment. And then the next moment you give your best and the next moment you give your best. And like, you know, at any point I can dial it back. Sure. So now my, my like hard would, would look like 85 to 90% of before, because I just, I don't need to go to that place anymore. Yeah. It's, you know, going back to like, yeah, when you say I push back, like I want someone doing strength training and all that. I've had conversations because I've been thinking a lot more about that. We did an article for WTF weekly talking about like bringing play into what you do. I had a buddy of mine, and he hates going to the gym. And I'm like, okay, uh, here's what you need to do. There's a rock climbing gym. It's about three miles from your house. Get a mountain bike, put it in the hardest gear you fucking can, ride your mountain bike to that rock climbing gym. Rock climb for an hour and come back. You've got your lower and upper and mid light. You got like you get some cardio in there. Would you enjoy doing it? He's like, yeah, I'd way rather do that. Then just fucking do that, man. Like it's like, you know, shoving people into the gym because there are some people that like this is just like, I mean, global gyms aren't going anywhere. There are a lot of people just lone wolves. They just want to go in there, do some curls or do whatever by themselves. They don't want this group atmosphere. They don't want to be told what to do. And, uh, you know, hanging out at the global gym recently, just looking around, I'm like, Everyone is in here. I mean, I can say that these are all D-plus efforts or B-plus or what the fuck are you doing? Like, I can do all that, but, like, you're here. You know, you're, you're doing something. You're moving towards that, that mark. What would you say, you know, because you and me, we've, we were just talking about kind of, like, our, our fitness evolving, right? Like, we had different ones. Are you able to recognize that in your customers, like, noticing, like, okay, this guy's been with me for, like, four years. 
I really don't think he gives a fuck about his 1RM clean anymore. He seems to be more interested in, like, I've heard him mention Ben Patrick, or I've heard him talk about functional bodybuilding. Or do you, like, do you notice clients as they go, like, their life cycle, their training age increases, that they start caring less about the quote-unquote CrossFit metrics we used to put the things? How you perform in a workout versus, like, their own personal interest in, in other fitness methodologies or other fitness purposes? Yes, we, we definitely see that evolution. I think we could do a better job of being proactive about spotting that and having those conversations so that way that person doesn't go do that. Well, I'm fine with them doing it somewhere else, but sometimes they think they need to go somewhere else sure. when we can give them what they need here. I'm all about fitness outside the gym, so I love, I love seeing that. You guys obviously have a great opportunity. I was like driving here, people are standing up paddle boarding, fucking running on the beach. Like it just, yeah, I mean, for all those gyms that are listening to this that are in the north, right? Where unfortunately they're fucking inside, you know, it's shit weather for six to eight months out of the year. It, it gets tough, you know? I talked to someone who's out west and they're like, yeah, everyone, like my gym empties in the summertime because everyone is out doing outdoor sports and stuff. The biggest evolution that we see is we see a couple things. Number one, the joke here is there's something in the water because everyone's having kids. So we have so yeah. many people that start as young couples, no kids yeah. that have kids. So being a part of that aspect of their life, that time in their life is, is huge. And, and really, you know, for them, they're kind of losing a part of themselves. And, and for, you know, we've had that shift. I mean, both of us have had kids. So maybe we, that was part of our evolution in fitness, yeah. but for some people, they really battle against that. They feel like something's being taken from them, especially a, a mom who's competitive, who's having to have the, have the actual baby. The guy, you know, they're not having anything happen to yes. their body, but they're having a lot happen to their time, their sleep, and these aspects that they have to recalibrate. So we see a lot of people that are afternoon people that are really competitive. It's like it's like me joining my soccer league. I want to go out there and I want to hit it hard. That's how their workout was. It was the end of their day and they're gearing up their day for that thing. Now it's like, I'm going to get up early in the morning. We have a 4.50 and a 5 a.m. class and those are two of our busiest classes. Uh, the next two after that are actually, are, are truly our busiest times, the 5.40 and the 6. And those people, they just want this thing to just ignite their day. They just want to be a better person the rest of their day and they don't care how tired they are when they get up. They just want to be able to get in here to have this moment to where they can really start their day with a bang and then feel yeah. good the rest of the day. So that's the shift that we see and helping people, helping facilitate that for people that that's awesome. Like it doesn't have to be about, you know, a pull up or adding 10 pounds to your squat or any of these metrics. We still want you to try to improve over time, but you might have this, like we have to be okay in the fitness industry about regression and slowing regression because that's the one thing I see. In, I saw in CrossFit with all these years coming from a baseball background. I'm like, yeah, every sport has its peak. And after that, you're, you can work hard, but you're going to expect a decline. And you have these 40, 50 year old, 60 year old clients that are still wanting to see PRs or even late thirties, still wanting to see PRs after four five, six years. You know, if you hang your hat on that, fitness is not going to be fun for you because there's going to, they're going to be few and far between and you have to make that shift. Yeah. And we could even argue, like, I think it's uh, Sean Pastuch has the line. It's I'm like, going for your 1RM is like practicing your, for fitness, is like practicing your half-court shot for basketball. Right? Like, there, I think there's a lot of things we did in CrossFit that are very competitive-based. Like, 1RM you only see in one sport. 
There's one sport that goes after a 1RM, and that's it. It's powerlifting. And that's an element that we did in CrossFit. And it was a, it was, you know, it's a benchmark. It's, it's something we, we, we wanted people to go towards. And it had its good place. It's like, oh, yeah, we want to see you get stronger. Like, it was just a way to test. And we all know beginners, when they first come in, PR, 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 for the first couple of years of their training, they're just going to see that because they've never even been exposed to it. It's, you know, it's, I, and I don't mean this in a mean way, but like when a 300 pound person loses 100 pounds, I'm not that impressed. It's like pebbles off a mountain. When someone who's 185 at 11% body fat gets down to 8% body fat, I'm way more impressed by that because that's way fucking harder, um, met, like from a metabolic standpoint. But what are some of the things from your old, the old style doing it as CrossFit that you've, you know, if, that you've kept that, that you truly believe in from a strength and conditioning and fitness perspective? And what is kind of dissipated? So we've kept a lot of the, the elements. We still, and, and part of what we're able to do because we have each fit as a counterbalance is we are able to keep that higher skill. Whereas if we were married to one program, the one program would look probably more like a blend of the two. I love cleans. Yeah. I, that's my favorite movement. I love cleans. So we're going to, we clean pretty much every single week. Yep. More power cleans and squat cleans just because of the, the, the technique involved with that. Sure. Uh, do a lot of major squats, deadlifts, things like that. We still split jerk. We do not kipping handstand push-up anymore. When we do pull-ups, we probably are 60% strict, 40% kipping cool. on that. We still have rope climbs. We still have snatches, but those show up more like twice a month and they never show up at low weights for high reps. They're almost always in a strength setting. If they are in a Metcon, they're going to be in, in like an EMOM setting where you have a set amount to hit in that minute, not like a max repetitions in that minute, but like, okay, you have 45 seconds to hit three singles at 70% of what you hit in the strength. We've overhead squatted probably once in the last two months. So usually when we're snatching, it's yeah. power, but we use, we use sport options. That's what we call it to be able to put some of those elements in for the people that like to play. And, yeah. and part of a part of this too is like, I still like to do that stuff. I don't need to have it every day. I don't need to do it to the point that I'm getting injured. But I think I think bar muscle-ups are fun. I yeah. think handstands are fun. Yes. I think climbing a rope is fun. Like that stuff makes you feel like a badass, yeah. honestly. So I want to have that stuff in there. And we can't be, you know, you have to walk this tightrope of like, is it the most functional thing that's going to get this person to lose the weight and yeah, and know. and get the results they want to see in terms of body fat percentage. No, but if we can get someone excited about their fitness sure. and we can give them something that is is just cool and fun to chase over time and earn their way to it. Now, we're not throwing people up there to try to get their first bar muscle up that don't have the prerequisite strength, but when appropriate, we want to have it as something that they can chase. And that's that. That's the thing that people. I think people think I hate on the sports side of of CrossFit, and I, and I don't. What I what I do feel on the sports side of it is, I feel some facilities indoctrinate newer customers with that when that's something that should be coming as they maybe get accustomed to it, right? Like someone comes in and they're generally there for two reasons. They want uh, to get fancy. They want a uh, reduction in body fat. They want hypertrophy. That's it. Like that's really what they are. I want more muscle. I want less fat. That's really there. If you wanted better biceps, you wouldn't climb a rope. You do tempoed, uh, you know, supine chin-ups and ring rows and bicep curls and shit like that, you know, but we then like, like, well, you know, that's not as much CrossFit. There's this rope thing that we do. Let me teach you. But there's a skill component. I think that was the other thing with, with sport that really, from a fitness perspective, all the sport movements are significantly dominated by a skill set. 
and the inability to achieve the skill set because you're not that athletic. And let's just admit, like there are athletic guys like you, and then there's a lot of our clients who are just not gifted. They're motor morons. They're kinesthetically unaware of everything. They got to learn how to wrap J, you know, J cup and hook their feet. They got to be able to hit a double under. Even the ability to kip while upside down or even kip from hanging from a bar, there's that skill. That was my thing with like the sport movements in CrossFit. And maybe that's why I got so annoyed with them over time was like, man, I'm trying to get this person fit and they want to get fit fast. And let's be honest, I always compare the fitness industry like the, a hair salon. You go to a hair salon. A woman might spend $300, $400, $500 right there in one fucking setting. She walks out looking the bomb. You, someone comes to Fit Down Jupiter and spends $800 in personal training. In three months, they pretty much probably look the same, a little bit different, but they feel better. They've got good habits, whatever. But like, we do not exactly show up with instant gratification in the fitness industry. Yeah, and, and with that comes a little bit of that person putting themselves out there because mm -hmm. they go to the hair salon, their hair looks better. They can justify that payment. Yeah. But now they spend this money here, and if they don't earn it, if they yeah. don't make the change, they you know then they feel like embarrassed. Yep. To you know or the value wasn't there. What did I spend my money? Like yeah, a hundred percent. And like there, you could do anything else the other twenty three other hours of the day after your hair salon. Doesn't matter. You're still gonna look dope here. It really relies on the other twenty. Like what you do in here, really is just hinging, and it might fall your way if you dial everything fucking else in for the most part. But yeah, I guess just going back to that, like the sport thing is just like it's that skill part. Like I watch people now staying around after class uh, and practice, wanting to practice the rope, like having the practice, like, and they're getting so frustrated. When really I'm like, I just want to be like, lady, if you just went and spent time doing ring rows for fucking four months, your arms, I guarantee you want something aesthetic to change here. I promise you it would probably change. And then you could do your skill thing. How have you guys managed to educate clients on, okay, it's a skill. You got to work on it if you want it. It's number one, you got to practice. Like that's obviously this mezzanine area. You guys can create that. But like creating knowledge that there's prerequisite strength. I see a lot of gyms and coaches, and I know you do a ton of work educating coaches, who they, they want that client to be able to do a butterfly muscle up or a butterfly pull up, even though they can't do a strict one. Mm -hmm. So maybe they bypass the strict allowance to get them like, well, let me just show you how anyway, because I think it'll make my client happy. And that's what they want. How do you talk to coaches in that regard of, you know, put this before that? Yeah, I think this, this is all fitting under this bigger umbrella of like, are we really understanding why this person is here in the first place? And so much of how we've evolved over the years, especially this last shift through the rebrand was like, we've committed to every single person that walks through these doors is getting at least a 15 to 20 minute phone call that le usually leads to a 60 minute consult. And that conversation, when you have an understanding of why that person's here, you can apply so many of your tools better to that person. Sometimes that comes to the realization of that person that's practicing, practicing rope climbs doesn't even really care to learn how sure. to do a rope climb in the first place. So we have to start from the grassroots of like, why are they spending time on it? And I think it's so easy to coach as a coach to get those quick wins. And I think so many coaches, their only metric for judging themselves as a coach is, did I get those wins or not, right? Did I help a person PR? Did I help a person achieve this skill or start to improve like this validation skill, of right? their skill set? Yeah. And that's, that's just a lack of understanding of what that client is actually coming to us for and our value that we can bring as a coach to that person. And the same client that you're talking about, we could make the argument that the person should be working on the skill, should not be working on the skill. Like 
I'm a big fan of like, let's work on hard things and let's learn hard yep. things. And, and part of this is a mindset thing that I want to challenge them to do it. So yeah, it's, it's hard to say, but it all comes back to, do we actually understand why this person is sure. here? So like challenge them to do the hard things to the extent that it's still in the wheelhouse of what the paying customer wants and it wants to get out of their fitness yes. type scenario. And with everyone coming in doing to walk me through your PT first model. So someone comes in, um, can they test out and go straight to a class if they've been doing CrossFit for a while or how many PT sessions are you guys rolling with? Walk me through all the kind of metrics and the business side of your PT first model. Yeah. So we start everyone with uh, a 10 minute call. Okay. We first are establishing, are they a fit for the facility? Then from there, let's pause there. What are the red flags? Cause this is super fucking interesting to me because a lot of gyms are just like, do you have a pulse? Do you have money? You're a fit here. What, like, what are you and your team? What have you taught them to kind of look for it? Are they, will they be a good fit? Usually you can just tell in terms of that person's willingness to open up. Are they willing to actually share about what they want? And what are, you know, a lot of people ask, what is the price? Because they don't know what else to ask. What is the schedule is the next most common one. They're asking that not because they actually care. Sometimes they do, but oftentimes they just don't know what else to ask. So we quickly take control of the conversation and say, yeah, I'm, you know, happy to go over that with you why'd you finally decide to call us, right? We want to first know, like, why, why now? And from there, we ask, you know, what, are you looking for just workouts? Are you looking for nutrition, accountability, mentorship, all the above? And those questions, it, usually the person will now openly answer those questions or they're going to push back, well, I just want to know the price. I just want to know this. I want to know that. And that's where we can stop someone in their tracks and go, you know, we're, we're more than just that. So if you're looking for it, we can send you elsewhere. But if you want to, you know, we'd love to get to know you better and sit down with you for a 60-minute consult. So Rachel, our front desk person, she does that initial call. And then they sit down with either myself, my brother, or, or one of our general managers, or our head coach. So now they're getting kind of elevated up the, the totem pole to someone who really yeah. is a coach at heart that can um, prescribe what they need. And so if someone's not really willing to go through that process, then that usually tells us they're not a fit. And I got to imagine that first 10 minutes, um, your front desk girl doing that, it's got to be, it's, that's honestly probably the most important part because if you sit down with somebody and you've blocked out an hour of your time and you're a busy dude and you 15 minutes into it, you're like, this was never going to work. This person was not pre-qualified. They're not the right fit. You're probably like, well, fuck. I mean, okay, I got to give them a good experience. So at least, you know, they, my brand, my brand reputation carries on. But yeah, talk to me about like. So that's, that's where having options is really key. Basically the lowest level option is two personal training sessions 40 days of classes. It's our 40 days to fit. They get in bodies in there. We do a movement yeah, I assessment. I saw the, the graphic on the website. Yeah, we do a movement assessment too. So that's another part of how we've evolved our brand and our coaching over time. We could elevate them up to a five session package, an eight session package, pure personal training, which we sell in 10, 20, and 30 packs. Or we have these transformation programs that range from 2,000 to 5,000 where we're going in deep into mindset, their day, morning and evening routines, their lifestyle, their habits. And we're going to basically oversee their entire lifestyle with that. So w that also helps anchor people. Our programs range from, you know, 200 a month all the way up to 5,000 for a, a nine week period. So really we have to get to know you before we can tell you. For that transformation kind of package you're yes. talking about? Yeah. So two things, anyone who's, you know, listening, go check out Fit Town Jupiter, just fittownjupiter.com. Yep. 
and I love the graphic work that you guys have done there. I think visually that 40 days to fitness, I think it, it does a great job telling a story, makes it very simple for somebody to digest. So guys, go check out what they've done there. It's amazing. But number two, I love that transformation thing. I think some people here then are like, oh, it's like six-week challenge transformation center. That's bullshit. No one's going to spend 5000 Dude, when somebody who has, again, number one, the first thing, I like our prerequisite it was always, do they have the money? Because no matter what, if they don't have the money to afford the service, I can't help them anyway. Like that was, and it's unfortunate. I don't want it to seem like it's a greedy whatever, but I really just needed to know that first. People who do have the money and want to change who they are, like you're saying, mindset, you know, all this shit, nutrition, your training, they will invest that in themselves, just like they would spend six grand on LASIK. Or just like they'd go ahead and uh, whatever the fuck else they're going to go do, you know, go get uh, their fucking eyebrows microbladed or get implants. Like what I like when someone really wants to change something about themselves and they are highly motivated, they are only I think they would only fit if they if it was cost a lot of money. If you offered your transformation thing and you decked it out with those features, like you said, and you said it was four hundred dollars. I'd be super sketch. I'm like, what is that a Groupon? Is that like a, is this on sale? Why, why is it so cheap? I like, I, cause people feel like once they, cause you want them to be almost slightly, okay, I'm running this card. Like he's, he's taking that money. You want to look like, not a buyer's remorse, but be like, that was a big purchase. Cause this is a big fucking thing. Do you guys, I mean, what percentage of sales would you say are going the big route? Like they've got, they've got a life they want to change. Yeah. It's a small, small percent. You're only talking, you know, anywhere between one and four a month. Okay. Um, of that's that. still a fuck ton. I mean, it's pretty good. It can be. Yeah, yeah, it can be. And this is, this is still newer for us. So sure. we're, we're, we don't ha even have a year of track record to sure. really say, but going back to what, when we only had those lower level options where a high ticket package was $500, you know, you get your five sessions, your 40 days of classes, which is still cheap for the value delivering. Cause yeah. we typically that's charge a hundred dollars yeah. a session for PT. That's how we anchor it in okay. people's minds. We say, PT is normally $100 a session. You basically pay for the PTs. You get all this stuff included. Yep. You know, for us, it's it's really, what are we willing to give up on the front end for this recurring revenue in the long run? But the point I was trying to make is that when you have a $500 package and someone has a $5,000 goal, a $10,000 goal, right? In terms of that thing is like something they've struggled with for 20 years, yeah. 40 years. Like what we found is that we could sell everyone. They would pay it, but then, our delivery did not match the aspirations of that goal. And now we finally have a, a program and a delivery method where we can deliver that. And actually, you said something earlier, and I, I agree with it at the surface, but as, we, as I think about it more, I disagree with it. It was like, people only come with a, to us for two reasons. Like, they want to lose fat, they want to build muscle. When you start to go into some of this mindset stuff, you realize that, no, those aren't the reasons. Those are those are a symptom. Those are a vehicle to get the other thing. The ultimate thing that they want is confidence. The ultimate thing that they want is to not have anxiety. The ultimate thing they want is to be alive for their kids. Sure. Those goals really are more important than, and then losing fat, building muscle. That's a vehicle to hopefully get yeah, there. Yeah. Those are the, uh, and you're right. It's better wording for me would be, those are the external reasons they're going to give a stranger in a conversation because they're acceptable. It's not really acceptable. Like, well, my dad died three months ago from a heart attack and uh, my kid came up to me. In the, like, you can get people probably in that 60-minute conversation to get you to those informa that information. But yeah, most people have that external reason that we, the 99, that we all hear all the same things. But then there's the, those internal reasons, which that are motivated by more or less feelings than physical attributes. Because uh, there are a lot of people that don't 
physically look maybe how we would all think, but they are super happy with where they are in life. They're happy all like and, and they're good. But then there's other people that don't have either of those two things. And it's the latter, the, you know, the internal shit that like what you're talking about or referencing, which I truly believe you could, if you, that's your, you want to solve those problems. It can't be a straight to class model. I don't, I like, I, it's not, I don't think that's going to work. I think you have to run a PT first model if you have the aspirations to solve those problems. And honestly, like, again, the more complex the fitness model, like is beach fit straight to class, right? No, it used to be. Okay. Um, and and, and again, people, there are exceptions to this, but more often than not, we're still doing two sessions with them. Okay. Sometimes five. And again, when you get, when you have these conversations with people and you're able to really slow down with them, you're able to get below the surface level goal. Because honestly, for me at this point, it's like, if the goal is that surface level, it's just, not, I don't care. It's sure. not exciting. It doesn't get me up in the morning to want to solve that surface level goal. Like I want to know how is this thing really like, what do you hate about what's going on right now? And how is this affecting you? So we try to get there with everybody. And, and, you know, you mentioned like the simple model, the complex model, we have a complex model. We could run this thing so much simpler, but, but we believe in real impact. We believe in the coach, the professional coach. And I think if you, if you want to be that long-term career professional coach, the majority of the clients you have to be working with, you're solving problems like this. It, it still could happen through the medium of just delivering them an amazing group class workout. But when you understand, like, I'm that person, you deliver me a great group class workout, you make me a better business person, a better husband, a better father, right? That's what I need at this point in my life. But for a lot of people, it might not be that. And you got you to understand, like, how does the prescription match the needs and fitness level and injury history and all that yeah. stuff of the client. I want to talk about the uh, the professionalizing the coach thing. So the shoot the ship that I had prior was with Brandon Coden, who owns CrossFit Granby. You guys are in the same level from a revenue perspective. He, you get, you're doing it with far less members. Uh, he's, you know, this kid's sitting at 670, damn, like a lot of fucking, it's a lot of humans to take care of. But you guys, I put you guys both at very similar business acumen. I mean, him spent a lot of time talking about his, you know, professionalizing coaches and having full-time staff, people who can buy homes and have, you know, support themselves. And I know that's a lot of what you've gone into with everything else you're doing, which we're going to get into. But walk me through that. Like, when was that spark for you? Because for a while, I got to imagine it was like, I need coaches, coaches to help coach the class. Like, when was it like, it really matters to me how much they make. It matters to me that they could buy a home. It matters to me that they're not freaking about, like, they could afford a wedding. Like, when did that hit for you? Because I know for me, at least in the beginning, a lot, I think a lot of gym owners are, I need help and I want someone with me. Because it's a, it's, a, it's a lonely thing in the very beginning. It's, a, it, you know, it's nice when you bring in that first full-time. You're like, oh, there's someone in this building with me. There's someone, like, riding shotgun with me and helping me not get lost and all that other stuff. When did that professionalization mission really really hit you and you that's like kind of really where you narrowed your focus because that's the inspiration for the PT first really I mean like you're right you have a complex model but as you just said it's also economically the only way I'm going to really be able to provide great compensation packages for coaches the evolution happened a couple couple different times um, first it was when we first started hiring just how incompetent we were <laughs> from a hiring perspective and 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 bringing bad players onto the team and understanding what a bad player looks like and then starting to figure out, okay, how can we bring on good players? What does a bad player look like? Ooh, that's, <laughs> you don't have to name names. <laughs> Honestly, I, I take a lot of ownership for that. I think I give people the benefit of the doubt and that a, a, ba 
a bad player has often gone through a bad process versus they're just a bad player. You didn't so, get them fresh and get to train them from day one. You're inheriting somebody who's already been educated or has been in someone else's system at some point. Not even that. Because okay. we've, actually, we've actually done really well with that. Um, we, I mean, six of our last hires are from out of state. Okay. So we, we have a good model for bringing someone in with some experience, but is saying the right things that we feel like we can really teach into our, our system. But where, where we screwed up at first was just literally like, oh, this member's pretty fit. They seem to want to help others. Like, you know, in a strength workout, they're in their downtime having these conversations sure. with people. And, and then we wouldn't have any type of really formal system for bringing them on saying, what do we stand for? What are our values? And so that's where the, the Rockstar co- coaching course came from is like, I need this for myself. And then that happened to be the, the thing for others. But yeah, well, I mean, to go back to it is just essentially like, what are those, what are those red flags that you, and again, because of the work you're doing with other coaches and business owners to help them, you know, create rockstar coaches and things like that, what are some of the red flags someone should look for when hiring a coach? Because again, some of us, it's, it's not a huge hiring pool out there, right? Yeah. And it's, you know, a lot of people are like, well, it's easy for Andrew. He, they make a lot of money. They're able to pay well. He seems to have his shit together, blah, blah, blah. For someone else listening to this who may not have all those things dialed in as well, what are the red flags they should be looking for? The red, the red flag is that someone who is, is putting expertise above relationships. And, and then you yourself, you got to make sure that you're not putting expertise above relationships. And when I say relationships, is, is that person focused on your membership? Is this person focused on helping, creating relationships with the people out there as opposed to, well, this is what I bring to the table. This is what I need. This is what I want. And, you know, so many times if people have an ego in that sense, it's, it's easy to spot, but you can get distracted by, oh, but they got this certification and they, they got this master's degree or whatever it is. And you get caught up in their expertise instead of focusing on, you know, did I enjoy talking to them? Like, would I spend Six four, hours. four hours in a car with yeah. them, you know, six hours in a car with them, whatever you want to say with that. The other framework that I've heard recently, which I've started using is like, if you wouldn't work for this person, if you wouldn't work with this person for the rest of your life, don't work with them for a day. Like, you know, treat it like you're marrying someone. And, and for us, it really is that because we're moving someone from out of state and we don't necessarily expect that it's going to be forever, but we treat it like it is. We treat it like, yeah, if there is that upside, we want this person to be here 10, 20, 30 years and we're going to evolve, like we're going to keep growing as well and have what we have going with these other brands and, and they can, you know, elevate themselves the same way we're elevating ourselves. So let, I want to, I want to start talking a little bit about the, you know, the Rockstar Coaching course and in that evolution. When did you venture in? Like, when did you venture into the, because I know you recently rebranded it, but the Seven Figure Box podcast and all, like when, when did we start going that? Because here's what I hear. You, you see it in the Facebook groups or whatever. It's like you, me, someone, we, we might put some advice out. It's like, oh, that's the guy who fucking now tells everyone else how to fucking do a thing, right? You did a thing, you had success, now you're going to sell. You're like, yeah, that's actually how it happens in every fucking industry. If you're the top lawyer, you become a partner. And then you have lawyers that work underneath you and you only take the cases you want and you educate people there. If you're a great teacher at a school, you eventually become an administrator. Like there is an evolution. And if you are a small business owner and you do your thing really well, it is, in my opinion, it's, it's a wasted opportunity if you want it to not go and then create an opportunity for further monetization, but in education, because you're some of the few small business owners that break through and do very well. That is the fucking minority. The vast majority don't fucking survive. 
So I'm the biggest fan of anyone who's got success and then goes into any way of either creating influence, getting out content, monetizing it, whatever the fuck it may be. Huge fan of it because there's not enough and there's still, there will never be enough of us. There'll still always be more small business owners that are failing because they couldn't access the content. They didn't really, they don't like Stu, but they would be down with Andrew. Like there's not enough of us personality wise for us to, you know, to tie ourselves to. When did that kick off for you? When you were like, okay, I've got the gym, the gym's doing its thing. I want to start working with coaches, owners. I want to evolve. I want to get my voice out there. I have thoughts and I want to start making content. You were a really big inspiration for me, honestly, just how honest you are, how, you know, you, you really break the mold in terms of record shit in your car, <laughs> record as you're doing, you know, scooter, scootering down the street, <laughs> your vlogs, um, which I started the podcast before you started doing the vlogs, but just your, your willingness to put yourself out there, to be raw, to be real, that was the catalyst for me for starting this podcast. And it started as Seven Figure Box. It was like, all right, let me think of the, you know, the clickbaity title name. The yeah. Clickbaity title name. And then over time, I just, it just didn't sit well with me. And I shifted from wanting to help more of the gym owner side, which is what I thought I wanted to help, to wanting to help more of the coaches side of things. And, and gym owners fit into that picture sure. too. So we help with, with everything. It's interesting that you bring it up because I, I really resent this. this uh, you see it online of the people who are building an online business to tell other people to build an online business <laughs> to tell the next person to build an online business. And it's just this pyramid scheme yes. where it relies on the next person who wants to build an online business. And I'm really aware of the fact that I need to be, at some point, there needs to be real world value created, right? And with what we're doing with coaches, those coaches need to have a real world impact on the people they're working with, you know, and the results, the relationships, and they need to be able to make money that can support their families. And if we're not creating that real world impact, like what are we doing with this? So the shift from seven figure to box to care coach lead or the shift from owner focus to coach focus was really a, a self-awareness of looking at, well, what, what have I done really well here? And yes, we have a successful business, but I think if you narrowed it down even further, our ability to create great coaches who have a legitimate career is really our bread and butter. There's people that I, I would say are better than me on the business side, and I'd rather refer to sure. people like that. I'd rather send people to you or the Chris, the Coopers yeah. and the Thorndikes out there or some of these other people, yeah. and I'd rather do the thing that I do really well. So for those people that have had some success that want to go to that next stage, I would see, I would ask yourself, how narrow can you go on the thing that you're really good at yeah. versus trying to just be the me too business consultant or whatever that might be. Your niche might be something really small, like gym real estate, sure. right? It doesn't have to be the whole business picture. And I, I love that because they're like, again, I just go to the base num line numbers, far more coaches than there are owners. Okay. There are plenty of coaches who make the fatal mistake of becoming an owner because they're in a system or they don't know how to make a living doing it. And I think they think that's how they're going to make more money. And it's, it, it, it's I'm sure we, we're going to talk about this, but like, that's not the case whatsoever. You can be a coach in the right system. And I guess one of my questions, and I, this is something Sean always tells me, he's like, you know, man, I, I work really hard to help, uh, and I'm sort of referring to Sean Pastuch, I work really hard to get these coaches, pro, you know, professional to help, but then they have a hard time finding gyms that, that is welcome. You know, let's say it's a gym that's just straight to class or some shit onboarding at Tuesdays at 7.30 p.m. every other week. 
that doesn't have PT first? Do you find sometimes you're you're arming these coaches with skill sets and they're like, but fuck, where do I go to, to do this? Most of what I work with is full teams. Okay. Most of what I work with is in the gym owner that's on board. One of my long-term visions, my, uh, my master plan here is to build an army of really great coaches, potentially hire those coaches, yeah. you know, or potentially have a licensed model that yeah. these coaches can go to because I do think that's a problem in our industry. I also think that the coaches who are saying that probably are not taking ownership of their situation to say, you know, what, what have I done to be able to make myself acclimated as gym? Because I won't, we could have a great coach right down the street, but if they haven't made an effort to be a part of our community and understand what we're doing, you know, you have a great coach, great gym, but if they haven't made the effort to understand what we're doing and what we're about, then I'm not going to hire that person. If that coach is just saying, well, I have a skill set, I have a client base, or I want to go this direction, why can't I just pay some rent somewhere and do my thing? You're, you're looking at it from a selfish point of view. You're not seeing the, the other person's perspective of like, it's more risk for me as a gym owner to bring on like a personal trainer that's going to rent space who's not, they're not a hell yeah in terms of their group classic. Uh, ability, wanting to be involved in the entirety of what we do, like loving both Beach Fit and, and the FTX program, and then also wanting to do personal training as part of that. They're just not bought into what we do. So. Yeah, they're not. They're they're more of a brand uh, liability for you than anything else. You yeah. know, versus someone who's involved in both, takes the classes, eats, sleeps, and breathes this, knows the members, less of a brand liability than someone who comes in and rents space from you and does PT and then does something else outside of there as well. Yeah, I think there'll eventually be more like personal training co-ops. I'm sure there's probably some in the Charlotte area. Yeah, there, I mean, there's some warehouses that they turn into bays and you can go ahead and you kind of pay by the session or pay by the hour to go. And it's, just, it's, a, it's, it's like a we work of personal trainers kind of scenario. Yeah, I don't, I don't see, I think that's the way it has to go. You're either like all in yep. as part of everything that a, a gym like ours brings to the table or you're, so you're on your own. Yeah. What's more important for a gym owner to, should a gym owner focus on being a great coach or when they're a gym owner? And again, like most of us, we start off just solo dolo. We get that first coach. Should they focus more on the business? And then for a coach, is there, when do they start focusing on business? I guess what I'm asking is if you're a gym owner, you know, you probably have a prerequisite of coaching. That's what you're going to do. You're going to be coaching all the classes, but then you've got, if you don't focus on learning business and you don't increase your business acumen, you get in trouble at some point. And then for coaches, you, we want them to become amazing coaches, but at what point do they need to pick up business acumen? Like where, where's that intersection? Cause at some point, even if you're a coach, you got to have some level of understanding. Cause if you don't understand business, some of the gym owners decisions might not make sense to you. You might like how many, any, anyone listening to this has had a coach, be like, why are you raising prices on everyone? That's fucked up. Like, and it's like, they just don't understand this very basic thing. Yeah. So the gym owner has to understand business right from the get go. But they also have to understand that the product is important. And if the product ever suffers, then, you know, it doesn't really matter how good you are on the business side if the product is not delivering at least at some level, right? It doesn't have to be perfect. I see it as gym owner. For me, it's gym owner focuses on client, then focuses on coach. So I don't necessarily see it as focus on like product than business as much as your focus is on the client experience and then over time, it becomes on the coach experience and, and you sort of work for them more than they work for you. In terms of the coach learning business, 
we really try to create a situation. And my, my long-term vision for it is that coaches don't have to worry much about the business side. They get to focus on coaching. Now, when you want to be a great coach, you have to learn how to sell. You have to learn how to raise your own rates. So those, there's business skills that will have to be learned, but you can't be a good coach and not know how to sell. I firmly believe that. And it's, and I'm not talking about like, if you're having trouble selling big packages, like until you sell those big packages, you're not a good coach. But what I mean by that is if you don't have base level sales skills, you're falling short as a coach and you just don't know it because good sales skills is the ability to listen, the ability to be present, the ability to ask good questions and the ability to prescribe a solution to someone. And if you can't do those things, you're not a good coach. <laughs> so Yes, you, you might still struggle to ask for the credit card or whatever it is, closing, overcoming objections in that sense. But those first few skills that I mentioned, you can't not have those. I, I agree with you so much on that. If you, that you literally, I don't think, I agree. I don't think you could be a great coach without those skills. Because ultimately when you get really good at asking the right questions and kind of figuring out through what someone's saying and their body language and all that, what's really going on with someone, it allows you to like also chameleon yourself on the floor like anyone who's done really good coaching at scale personal training you're not the same energy with every client like that was one of the things that was hard with me I it's sometimes it's hard for me to turn my bullshit off I'm always on my fucking bullshit and I would maybe have a client who needed a more subdued version of Stu and if you you know, if you, when you get good at sales, you, you know, you mimic their body postures, all the things you learn in really good sales training that 100% translate out on the floor. And if you don't have it here, it, it, you're probably going to make for a bad coaching experience there. And I don't think I've ever met anybody who said, I don't like to sell. Um, let me rephrase that. I've only met people who probably said, I don't like to sell what really what they were saying is I'm not comfortable doing it yet. Like I just, it's not that I don't like it because there's no one in the world that doesn't like getting paid. Like that person doesn't exist, right? So that's all we're saying is like, do you like to make money? Well, this is just going ahead and helping someone find a solution. It just happens that, yes, you're going to get paid for this. But it's like if your buddy brought you a catalog of new fucking cars, like, man, which one of these am I going to get? And you help them pick out the new fucking car. That's essentially what you're doing in this scenario. Let's talk on the coaching side. You know, I th you saying, hey, listen, I'm hoping that for the, be able the future, create a system, right, for coaches to where they don't have to worry about the business side as much. What would you say to, at some point, coaches, are they always going to, like, at what point, does a coach not want to be on the floor anymore and coach? Like, is everyone going to be like Mike Bergner and Chris Henshaw and fucking Glenn Pendeley, rest in peace, Louie, rest in peace, like that are, you know, James Fitzgerald, like, are they going to always coach, coach, coach? Or is they going to have an ascension where at some point they're like, I'd like to manage the, co I'd like to coach the coaches. I'd like, how do you talk about that? Because at that point, then we need to probably have some business acumen. Yeah, so that's, that's week one of our course. That's also the same questions that we ask when we hire someone. We hire now, we have a, a document after the first call that they fill out that has a bunch of questions. And what we're trying to figure out is we categorize people as a hobby, a job, a career, or a calling coach. And there are people that want to be in the fitness industry that enjoy coaching but co the coaching aspect on the floor is still a job for them. But aspects above that, coaches' development or running a business is more of their career calling. And our goal is that everyone is living their calling. If we can do that, where my goal is I want you to work 60 hours a week and love it, right? Work-life balance, I, I throw that out the window. I want you to, I want you to feel like if, if I made you be way out of balance, you still love it because you're doing what you love. 
So it, it really starts with understanding what that is. And I think too, not projecting your own nature onto someone else, because I think for me and you, we don't really want to be on the floor, but I know from my experience and working with people, there's lots of people that that is their long-term vision. That is their calling is to be 30 hours on the floor forever. Having ways like a simple questionnaire to be able to understand that is really important. Like, and I agree. I, th- I think you're right. And, and sometimes in the past, I had to check myself to do, make sure I wasn't downloading my own goals onto somebody else. And then I, the hack I found is like, okay, I'm doing that because I think I know more than this person. I think I know I'm more experienced than them. So when I talk to, you know, if I talk to someone and they're married, they have two kids, they're 38 and they want to be a coach forever. I take that. I'm like, okay, I pretty much believe you. You're 24 and you tell you're not married. You just got a girlfriend or whatever. And you tell me you want to be a coach forever. I'm like, you don't know Dick yet. I know you think that buddy. And I thought the same thing when I was probably your age, have your first kid. Right. Have like, you know, have your life change a little bit. Your mom gets it like whatever may you know, happen and what, how you make your money and how much money you make. And that's what I want to get into the next thing is the earning potential. I, I think that changes. Are you, would you agree with that? That, you know, this, that younger coach, I want to coach forever. It's like, cool. We're going to put a pin in that. I'm going to, let's re, let's readdress that. Like, I love to keep this conversation going as your career, like every, you know, every performance review every 90 days or every year I want to make sure we're readdressing and making sure that's still your trajectory because there is a high likelihood you want to stay in the industry you wanted whatever but you might not want to be on that floor as often yeah you're spot on I mean when someone's young they they don't know they don't and you know it's it can be tricky in an interview process you know especially we're interviewing from out of state you're trying to understand how much how much self-awareness does this person have how much life experience do they have to really understand and support this idea that they're saying, because you're going to hear a lot of people that say, yes, I want to be coaching for the next 20 years. But then when you start to really, you want to see those bumps and bruises, like where were they experiencing burnout at some point? Where were they? What was their, what's their busiest week of work looked like up until this point? How long have they been doing it? Right. If a person tells me that they think they're a calling coach and they want to be coaching the next 20 years, and then they go, yeah, I've never coached more than 12 classes in a week. I just, I can't put, I can't hang my hat on that. You've never been stress tested. Right. So when someone's been stress tested and they're saying those same things, we have a coach now who's, who is that same coach. He's, I don't know, 25, been with us for two years and crushing it. I mean, he's, he's going to probably make six figures within the next 18 months here in, in terms of a 12 month section. And, but he works his ass off and he is this calling coach, but we're, we're having those conversations because, because he told me once that he's a calling coach, I'm not going to assume that that's going to be it forever. But I know with his work ethic, his attitude, whether he is a coach on the floor or he evolves, like I still want him on my team. I, I want him, you know, on, on my side. So yeah. I need to make sure that I have that communication throughout to as he evolves I stay with them. Earlier you talked about you work mainly, you know, with the teams. You're getting the owner involved and his coaches when you're train when you're consulting with them, when you're educating them and teaching them how to make this, you know, how to bring coaches into a level of professionalization and how what does that conversation sound? So like there's a gym owner and he's like, Okay, I make X amount of profit. I have these coaches. I'd love for them to make careers doing this, Andrew. Like, help us out. They sign up, they're on a call, or they come here and do an immersion with you or whatever it may be. When you talk to them about, like, earning potential, knowing you've got this owner here and he, 
the earning potential is also, he's the bottleneck, you know, where his business is the bottleneck of earning potential for the most part, right? Now, these guys are going to mainly do PT, I'm assuming, to help increase that earning potential. Talk me through what that's like, because that's kind of a balancing act a little bit there. You've got to like, you got to make sure this owner is not, he's probably, he's obviously bought in. He's, he's working with you. He's got his team working with you. But if he's got keys to the kingdom, without him turning on, without the enough people coming in the door, without the sales process being dialed in, I'm sure this is stuff you guys all go into. How do you talk to these two groups of people at one time, or do you do it separately about what realistic earning potential is? It's going to depend a lot on on the area someone's in and and the current makeup of their business. It's really hard to just like take a dramatic shift in a business. Yes, simply personal training is the easiest path to careers for coaches. It's the place that you can get your rates up the fastest as you've grow your book of business. And the group class model is, is really, it's going to have a certain cap to it. I think at most places, if they can get their coaches between 30 and $40 a class, they're doing awesome. And so over time, so when you first start a career with a coach, it's typically going to look like 15 to 20 class hours a week and taking on anything and everything. You're going to do cleaning, you're going to do maintenance, you're going to do social media, maybe not all the above, but you're trying to find these little areas that we just need to find a full-time gig for you. We need to get you to 40K a year, pretty much. And we're going to piece together anything and everything that we can do, but each role has an assigned value to it. You're not, I try to push people away from salaries because I found that salaries lead to a lot of bloat with not a lot of action to support it. Piece these roles, but then the step from 40 to 70, which is really what we're trying to get people to, if we can get someone to 70, in most areas of the world, they're going to have the ability to, you know, eventually buy a house, like support. You're talking maybe, 40 to 70K a year. 40 to 70K a year, year. Sorry. Yeah. 40 to 70K a year. That, that jump is going to happen through going through the personal training route. You have to be able to get, you know, 60 to $80 an hour, 50 to $80 an hour and, and not burn yourself out still spending about 30 hours on the week, uh, on the floor per week, but your 15 to 20 classes now looks like eight to 10 classes. And the rest of that time is spent on personal training, maybe remote programming. My experience has been that remote programming, if they deliver really good value, they have a bad hourly rate because it takes more time than they think. Sure. And uh, personal training is great because you get paid for every hour you put in. Yeah. And when you can get, when you can be averaging 90 to $120 a session that the gym is charging or the trainer's charging and you're getting a more than 50% cut of that, it becomes substantial. I'm not asking you this because I think you necessarily have the answer. I'd love if you did, but more just for us to kind of spitball back and forth. The problem with, you know, with personal training being like the, the big part of it is, if, you know, you will, if you accept that you're always gonna be trading time for money. So there is a limitation, but everyone uses that. Like, Oh, you know, you'd hear Hermosi talk about like, Oh, you're trading time for money. That's not going to ever work. There's a lot of people that do doctors trade time for money. Right? There's, I mean, maybe now with telemed, like it's a little bit, I mean, but you're still trading time for money. So I not where I'm, I don't knock personal training being a long-term solution for somebody in the fitness industry because of that. What I say, what I think it is, is it okay? That's one constraint. The other constraint is that you can continue to trade time for money as long as that number can have opportunity to climb. Again, going back to a doctor, if a pediatric open heart surgeon is making six twenty five an hour, trading time for money is dope, right? If you're a lawyer and you start off and you charge two seventy five an hour, and then after six years of experience, you're now charging three fifty five, that it's great. Like that works. How do you? 
see or how, how is there a way to bridge the gap? Because, okay, cool. Trainers are going to trade time for money forever. How does that number continuously evolve? Because again, being 36 with two kids is way more expensive than being 26 with ramen noodles and a dog in an apartment. It goes back to first off, are, are we living our calling? If we're living something that looks close to our calling, then trading time for money isn't that important because the, the question we ask, one of the questions we ask is if you won the lottery, you had a hundred million dollars in the bank, what would you do with your time? Right? Not, not the initial trip you do sure. in that once things settle down and you have to spend, you still have the same 24 hours in a day. You still have the 168 hours a week. What do you spend your time on? Right? That's how I, that's actually the exercise I used when I was in London that led me to wanting to open up the gym. So now that's the exercise I use to gauge what type of coaches that we're bringing on staff. If you can genuinely answer that question as, as yes, you know, you're to your best knowledge today that I would continue coaching, maybe not the same amount of hours, but pretty close to it. You know, maybe I'd want to work these hours. Maybe I wouldn't want to wake up early in the morning. Maybe I wouldn't want to coach late nights, but this is what I think it would look like then who cares if you're trading time for money because you're still making money doing what you love and time is on your side because you never you don't really want to retire from that thing. Now, with that being said, if that's the baseline, then we also, with the money we're making, we want to put some away and invest that in a place that we aren't trading time for money. Sure. That could be real estate. That could be stocks. That could yep. be funds. Yep. You got to start doing those things. So even though you are living your calling, and even though you would do this every day for the rest of your life and you don't need to retire, you still created a situation where you have, you have a backup plan there and you aren't having to like just solely focus. Like you don't have to work the next week to make your, yeah. you know, to feed your family. Yeah. And it, it, so even with that, so like someone's like, okay, I'm making, uh, I'm making six figures and but now I've got a family and a kid and I now Andrew's, you know, got me sold on the fact that I haven't really been putting any money away into any kind of index funds or with a personal financial planner. So now I've got to take some of the money I make and it has to go to work for me 30, 40 years down the road, real estate, whatever it is. But now it takes my bring home back down here. How do I get like, I guess that's the thing is like for a personal trainer, it, it like in time, is it just like, again, going back to the lawyer, like the lawyer and a doctor been doing it longer. You have more experience. You're better. Yeah. Can like can trainers just start charging more when they're like, yeah, I've been doing this for ten years and I just can get I'm better, but then what is that proof of metric or measurement that they use to justify it to a client? Is it why is he one forty a fucking hour? Why is he one twenty like or whatever number would be up there? Yeah, you just got you you got to develop those high value skills and you got to be able to deliver on it. And it's not a you know the common the common mistake with an employee mindset is I've been doing this this long, I deserve this. And what's cool about, you know, personal training especially is that, you know, it's a meritocracy is that you, you if your book of business is full and you have clients that want to join, that makes it pretty easy to raise your rates when you can't take on other clients because you have no other hours in the day to fit those. So you raise your rates. And when that happens again, because you might lose one or two, then you can, you can do that again. And we've seen that in, in a short period of time with our coaches that we have where they're able to raise their rates because they have no more room in their schedule. I do think for most coaches, they're going to find their niche. You know, that might be sports training. That might be working with teens. That might be hypertrophy, like focus. It could be injury stuff where they're, they're really good at just back pain alone. Yeah. That's where you can really 
lean into it. I think most coaches will have some some version of a liberal arts type of career where it's like, I still do some group classes. I still do have some general personal training clients, but 50% of my time is spent on this bread and butter client. That's where I thrive. That's where I get the highest value. That's where I deliver the highest, highest value. So, you know, high value skills solve high, solve high value problems and you can charge a high value for it. I'm going to throw a case study at to talk about that. Essentially, you know, so the one thing I think is like fastest opportunity to increase what you charge is to have a reputation for being the best in that niche, being an SME. Well, that reputation in this industry is going to come on that little black device that we all have. It's going to come in the form of, you know, and again, not to just fucking be the content guy, but like it's going to come through the form of content. Look at Ben Patrick. He's not a physical therapist. He, I don't even know if he's a certified train. I know he's been training. I don't even like, he just self-made, figured out knee problems, studied fucking knee, like, and he's now, whatever. It's the fact that he's now has a reputation, which he developed the quickest online. There is a guy who is, no, I got a vasectomy. There's a guy in this country, he's in Texas, that is known for the best reverse vasectomies. He's the guy you go to if you need to reverse it. I looked into him in case I ever want to change that up later down the road. I want to get Gus a little buddy, whatever it may be. For coaches that are thinking, okay, in the, okay, I want to do this. I'm buying into what Andrew's saying. In the future, will do you think with social media and everything content going the way it is, will it be imperative for them to understand that in order for you to future raise rates or be, the, be considered the best, you have got to put it out there that you are. You have to prove to people. Nobody is going to give a fuck that you've been doing this 15 years. The fact that like, if someone's like, oh, I've been doing this 15 years, I'm like, cool. Like, can I look you up? Like, have you done anything worthwhile? Like, like there's a lot of people that have done the same bullshit for the same, I've got buddies that have been doing shit for the same 15 years. It's not because they're vastly successful. It's that they just literally just done the same shit for 15 fucking years. Where do you think, where do you, where do you feel like putting your name out there, being known as an SME in a topic, whether it's through content, whether it's through blogs, whatever the fuck it is? A hundred percent. You, you will have to do that. If, especially if you want to start to flip this equation of time for money, that I think is a hundred percent part of that path in a really successful group class facility that also has a personal training element to it, I think you can get to a pretty high level without needing your own social media because you are getting a chance to showcase yourself with 400 or 200 or whatever it is the number of your ideal clients. They're in front of you every single day. So when you, they see you working on the side with someone and you've created results for that person, it can snowball in that way. And we've seen that here where we have several successful coaches that are not active on social media, but their fan, their group, the group class model, the group class itself is basically their marketing. It's them being able to, to show their skills and, and show what they're capable of. But yeah, I think 100% that marketing and social media and content will have to be a part of it. But I just think most people expect it way too fast. And, and most people could still be developing their skills before even social media has to come into play. And it's, this is a 15 to 20 year timeline, not a three to five year. And, and even some people think three to five years is long. They're expecting one to two years on that. So develop the skills first. Yeah. I, and I think you mentioned earlier, to kind of have this liberal, liberal arts thing. I think if you really, again, want to eventually increase what you charge, you, you're going to have to niche into something. You know, I mean, not that, I mean, a general physician gets paid really well. They don't get paid as well as the guy who works on burn victims. 
right? He's like niched in the skin grafting or whatever it may be. So I think that's the other thing too, is like, okay, you love fitness, but what do you really, 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 really love? Like what's the thing you would read about at night and you know, you would nerd out on and pay to go to seminar after seminar after seminar to learn. And you got to go deep in on that thing. You got to be known for that. Like again, using BP as an example, like this fucking knees thing. It's like, it's all the dudes like, it's just going to do that one fucking thing. And you just got that one sliver of the fitness. I mean, it's such a tiny sliver of fitness, but if you can become an SME in it, because guess what? There is no competition for guys talking about fucking knees over toes and knee health. There's minimal, minimal competition out there. And that's really the benefit, I think, for coaches who are like niching in and really wanting to get into something. You got to generally like it, though. Like, I mean, if you, you know, if Ben Patrick didn't like fucking his knees and he didn't have a success story and all that, it, it wouldn't work. But I think, I, th- I think someone like him, too, it's. He's, I, I think he's awesome, and I really I love what, what he's doing. I think using him as a comparison metric, is, it, it's discouraging for a lot of people, and they don't realize it because it's, he is young, yeah. and you're going to have those examples where things just click, yeah. and that's not the case for most. Correct. Most people are going to have a longer journey. They're going to take more time, and you know it happened to happen earlier in his life, and he does have value to bring, so I don't think it's... It's just luck, but you need some element of luck. And a lot of things had to align for him to make it happen that fast. You know, Gary Vee is probably a better example where he spent whatever, a decade and a half grinding in his, his dad's liquor yeah. store and then started making content towards the tail end of it and then started becoming more on the marketing side. And, and his big thing is, you know, he's still young. You're still young. We're still young. Yeah. Where I would push people on the content side is don't create content early in your career because you're trying to be this expert. Create it to refine your own education and your own thought process. Because I know you know this is like through creating podcasts and videos and writing stuff, it makes you learn that much faster. So do it for your own learning. I mean, that's when when I started my podcast, it was I'm going to post every Friday for a year. And I've, I've come, come pretty close to that since then, but I did do it for the full year. And sometimes that was recording a podcast at 10 o'clock at night yeah. on a Friday to just keep up with it. And then it was also, I don't care how many listeners I have at the end of yes. the year. It was, you know, I'm not checking stats every day. Every once in a while, you know, if I went on your show or if I went on with Marcus Gersey, it was yeah. like, oh, well, let me see how many new people I got. But it, I was not obsessed with the metrics. It was I'm doing this because I know that this is going to make me better because I learn through teaching. I learn through coaching. Yeah. And I know you can relate to this. Anyone who really makes content, you nailed it. And I tell people this all the time, when you start making content on a topic you think you know a lot about, it forces you to, because in the backyard, you're like, people are going to call me out. I need to go back and reread that research paper, right? Like mm-hmm. even all this tempo stuff. Like I've, I mean, I was studying Ian King years ago and now I'm going back and rereading fucking Pat O'Keefe books on like, you know, interval weight training and how he used tempo. And I'm doing all that because I know I'm going to fucking get daggers in the DMs and comments. And it does. You create content, you put yourself out there. The first, the thing that scares you of hitting upload, not record, but upload is how will this be received? What will people say? Will I look like an asshole? Am I wrong? Like that's kind of the cycle of thoughts that go through your head. And you, that's why you overly research a topic to the point where you have to feel like, you know, I, I've got all the information I get. I can get on this. I'm going to hit this. But I would say it's never about being infallible. You're not, yeah. you know, you don't want to be infallible. You want to, honestly, the best response is, no, you're right. That works too. 
<laughs> that's literally the best fucking response. Like, fuck tempo. I'm like, yeah, you're right. You know, your sting works too. That's that's completely fine, dude. Because everything fucking works for somebody. Kind of so no matter what your opinion is on fitness. And any young coaches listening to this, you want to start making content. No matter what you have to say, you're right. And so is the other person who says it's wrong. That's just that's the end fucking goal. That's the you know that's the uh, the punchline to that whole thing. Yeah, I want to I want to flip this on you a little bit, and because honestly, from the way you present yourself, you seem like the person oh. who doesn't give a shit. Yeah. But obviously, you're talking now. And it's still hard to hit that upload, especially when you were getting started years ago. So how do how do you how did you overcome it? How do you overcome it? Because I'm guessing it doesn't go away ever for you. It was the fact that I had gone through Globo Gym and that level of just like go fuck yourself and get out there and sell. Like this club has to make X amount this month. Like you have this amount of money, go hire four people by the end of next Tuesday, or you're go- like the high level like business boot camp. I feel like I went through. I knew at that point in 2000, when I opened South End in 2011, there was most of the owners had not gone through that. So I just instantly, whether it was ego or whatever, was like, I know more than most. Like, and so when I started, when 2015, when I started recording content, I was talking on the things that I knew, like Coop had talked about. He had, you know, whatever. But beyond that, there just wasn't a lot of noise in that area. So even if someone wants to call me out, what are they going to reference? The article that they wrote, the video they made, they haven't made any fucking thing, right? It just, there wasn't enough. Now, Sean Pastuch throws out something, you throw out something, I throw out something. Someone's like, yeah, but Marcus Gersey said this. Yeah, but they said this. Like, they're able to pull from other SMEs to deflate your point. It was a little bit easier back then. The funniest fucking thing. What's that fucking highway I was telling you my hotel's on? Indian something? Indian Town. I'm, I ran across the IHOP yesterday. I needed to eat some fucking food. I go in there. I fucking house like five eggs, bacon, sausage, or whatever. I'm running back across that fucking highway at 5 p.m. I mean, it, it, for anyone who's not there, this is like, it's like a little highway. It's like three fucking lanes each way. It's, you know, I'm playing Frogger. I get to the median and I'm waiting for the, fu- I'm not waiting for the walk, the, the walk light. A car pulls up and he yells, Stu Brower. This was my first mentor in Globo Gym for four years. This guy mentored yesterday. me yesterday, runs into me here on that highway there, rolls down his window, his name's Billy Kensinger. And I'm like, holy shit, it's Bill. Like, this was a dude who, I mean, he, he is so responsible for where I am today. He, uh, he's been in the fitness industry until about five years ago, and then he quit, and he opened up a, he's got a band here in Jupiter, and they travel all over the country, and it's his full-time job now. He's completely removed. But I just happened to run into this motherfucker on the median on fucking Indian Town Road or whatever here in Jupiter. So I went to his show late, late last night. He was playing at the uh, something uh, town cafe or uh, something. There was some really cool bar restaurant thing he was playing at that I went and watched, but I was me and him were talking fitness all night. It's just so funny, like, you asking me that question of like, where do you get that? It, it came from actually having, have done the thing and just having enough confidence in yourself. I think there's a lot of people that have done the thing and they still don't have enough confidence to say it out loud on a microphone or megaphone or whatever, using social media, writing a blog post. Where did, you know, let me go back to you. Where do you get the confidence? You know, I, and I appreciate the kind words of like being an inspiration to make content, but still at some point you needed to felt, I mean, you obviously have success here. Like this is, you can't deny that. Where did you get, where do you get your confidence when you're talking about stuff like this? Cause there's, you know, Mad Labs trying to talk about the same topic. Active Life's trying to talk about the same topic, professionalizing coaches. Where, where do you get yours in that? How do you think about it? So my ideas all come from the day to day in here, just coaching classes from time to time, doing personal training t- sessions from time to time, working with our coaches one-on-one, working for, with coaches other, other, other places. And, you know, being able to just, it, it really comes from 
focusing on them and their needs. Like this, at this point in the journey, at first it was different, but now it's like, I have so many people that need help and the motivation and excitement to put something together, a framework, a thought process, you know, kind of a done for you guide or done for you, you know, process that they can implement is like, that excites me. So that really helps me overcome. And, and I'll be honest, like I struggle with social media. I struggle with the kind of like more of the, the quick hit stuff of like, you know, trying to put out stuff that's going to be, not that I'm trying to put stuff that's more controversial, but I just, I don't want to, I haven't wanted to up until this point, wanted to invest a lot of time and energy but a lot of that still is like a fear of like how are things going to be perceived? Are you and, talking about like a hot take? Like yes. something happens and you want to spit something on it real quick. Do you it, do you sit on your topics and your thesis is like just a little bit longer and get them cooked up before you publish? Yeah, and sometimes I won't say it all, you know, or I'll say it in a podcast where I can go really long form with it. Yeah. So I feel comfortable with context. I feel yep. comfortable like I'll I'll speak my truth in in this conversation one-on-one with pretty much anybody. I don't, I don't feel like I hold back in that sense. But when it comes to social media, you just lose context. And I really have pushed back against that like polarizing world that is, that is social media, especially over the last few years. One of my goals is to embrace that more and, and put myself out there more and, and, and that be the next extension for me, the next challenge for me. I, can, I respect the shit out of that because, and I think a lot of people, and they don't see it because this is actually how it happens. I like to shoot a gun off in a public place, right? I like to say something that doesn't have the context. That's a really good way to put that. Yeah, yeah. I like, I like to shoot the gun off in the public place. I like to freak people out with the quit, the sixty second video or the caption or the, the 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 image or whatever I do, and then get people to show up, and then I get to have the conversation. It's either in the comments, but honestly, I go right to D. I mean, I literally do the audio message. I wait for one dude to pop off and like, motherfuck me, you're wrong, this, that, and the other thing. And I don't care publicly if everyone knows whatever. I'm going right to the DM, leaving an audio message and slapping with context. Like, hey man, I really appreciate you engaging with it. I totally understand your position. Here's where I'm actually coming from with that. And nine times out of 10, Seven times out of ten, they they come back and they're like, "Oh, well, dude, yeah, I yeah, I I can see that, man. Like, why didn't you just say that in in the thing?" I'm like, "It's faster. It's faster to have the conversations to shoot the gun off and get people to come." And what's happening? Why did he say that? Whatever. It gives me the opportunity. If I write a long form piece about it, and I've been doing that with WTF Weekly, that was kind of my. uh, I got three or two strikes on Instagram. A lot of people don't notice, and that's what spurred the newsletter. I'm like, if Instagram got taken away from me, how would I reach people? So that's what started a newsletter. So that newsletter has been able a long form context way and maybe longer form posts on Instagram. But yeah, that's always just been my thing is like, I'd rather just shoot the gun off. And then anyone who's gets so heated, they want to have that conversation. That's exactly who I'd want to talk to. But I don't know if they'd ever stop by and have the conversation and take the time to read through the entire thing without that. And again, I could be completely wrong with that, Strange. There's plenty of people that have great social media followings and create great content without that kind of approach. That's, I don't know, that's always just been a little bit more my style. I, I, think, you're, I think you're dead on. I think that is hard for a lot of people to do because you have to, you have to be willing to keep having that engagement, right? Mm-hmm. And not just take shoot, I got 30 negative comments. Maybe I should change my stance. Maybe I should apologize. Like, no, I'm going to provide context, not apologize, but really give you an idea. Because the goal of that initial post might not be, it wasn't to start a fire. It was was coming from the context of what you really believed. That just happened to be the thing that is 
the gun that's going to start it. Yeah. And I think you also look at social media like your laboratory. I throw half-cooked ideas out all the time. And I, I my girlfriend will be like, "You look like, what's wrong? You, I'm like, nobody is fucking beating my ass in the comments yet on this. Like, I really don't have this thing all the way thought out. I was really waiting for a couple people to come in and, well, what about this? Well, what about that? That's wrong. Because I like that in my creative process of coming up with something. So like one of my big things now is, you know, if you own a micro gym, you got to get your staff involved in social media. Like I just, I know how heavy the, the digital paid advertising lift is right now and how expensive it is. I think because every coach for the most part, if they're using social media to record their cat or video, take, take a photo of the dinner her and her husband had, or say how much they like the new Netflix special. Why can't they use social media to say, you know, hey, I coached the 7.30 p.m. class at Beach Fit. If these workouts this, it's going to be a dope workout. Come on by. Why can't that happen? I think it can. I think it just, that's never been an expectation. It's never been laid out. We've never compensated coaches for it. We've never trained them how to do it. We've never, like, teaching people how to use social media is not a part of educating a coach. It's never been. It, I think it needs to be going forward because you also might have a coach starting to use social media in the wrong way. We're like, oh, God, I hate when she makes those posts. Like, that's cringeworthy. It needs to be on brand or whatever it is. But even that, like, I, it, it was a half-cooked idea at first. I had a couple of clients I'm working with playing with it, but I threw it out in social media land and started getting feedback from people. And I, I used those inputs to kind of, you know, I throw it in my pot and I stir it up a little bit because there's a lot of people out there that are just as smart, if not smarter than me, or see the world a different way than I do. And I want their, I want their unique spices and thoughts and herbs to go into my fucking stew because I, I you know, I don't think I, I don't think anyone can just sit there and be like, I know it fucking all. I know all this shit. I don't need any input from any of you fuckers. I like that's the exact opposite. I want more input in it. I want the negative input because that's the shit I can't see. I can't see around that corner, but that guy did. Like, oh fuck. Now sometimes he's just wrong. Like, oh no, shut the fuck up. You're just wrong. Like that's not right. And a lot of times I'm like, oh yeah, I didn't think of it like that. I need to retool this. Was there a moment for you that that? your relationship with social media became that or have you always had that relationship? Because I don't, I, th I think so many people do not have that relationship yeah. with social media. So many people, when they get pushback, they kind of retreat and, you know, but they might not show up that way in other parts of their life, yeah. right? And I would say like, I'm the same way as like, I'll speak my mind in this, but I might not, I might kind of like, okay, I've said my piece online in that way. So what do you, how do you, and was there a moment that, that that clicked of like, no, this is the laboratory. This is this. I guess maybe like, I don't know. I get, let's say you follow somebody. Let's say you follow Gary Vee. And he's, he makes a post and has a thousand comments in it. Just just click view more and just, just read through it. You're going to read people, motherfuck this, you're dumb, you're right, I love you, I, I whatever. Like It's like the feedback that people give you on social media can be super, they can be pennies. Like, what the fuck am I going to do with a penny? However... If there's a 10,000 fucking pennies all saying the same thing, there's value there. But those one-off pennies that are just like one person motherfucking you or saying, oh, you're stupid. I had a guy be a post be like, you know, retired, you fucking blah, blah, blah. Like, you went out of business. Like, I'm just like, okay, I don't care. Like, when I made that whole thing, I'm like, hey, guys, I'm like, I, and I called you and I was like, hey, can I come on the podcast? I got to get word out. I want to talk about the gym real estate company. I want to talk about what I'm doing with the retirement, all that shit. There was a lot of those pennies. And, but then there's a lot of other people that were dropping fucking quarters and dollars and whatever, more valuable statements. So I don't, I don't acknowledge the pennies. I don't pick up the pennies. But if everyone was saying the same thing, 
And I'm like, oh, it's not just a couple pennies. Like that's, it's fucking $10 right there. I might need to reevaluate that because, you know, what's that phrase? 50 million Elvis fans can't be wrong. Like, it's just like at some point the masses, like there's going to be that. I think, it, you know, the only other angle on that I could take from an answer to hopefully give someone some value on this is I think that process of wanting feedback from other people, the more I got into more in-depth shit. So in the early days, go look at 2015 videos. I'm not talking about really groundbreaking shit. It was ground, maybe it was like, it was not, not groundbreaking. Not having dogs in your facility yeah, was pretty groundbreaking. Was, yeah, <laughs> to, yeah to, to, maybe to a lot of people. And for me at that point, it's like, oh, that's just a duh. As I progressed with the content and the ideas got either, not radical, but they just got, uh, they were, there's definitely wasn't, I couldn't find any of those answers. That's when I think I was more interested. Like, has Cooper written an article on this? Has uh, Patty over at Mad Lab already talked about this? Has this been in the journal already? Like, it hasn't. I'm like, fuck, I can't find what I'm about to say, I can't find on the internet anywhere. Well, that's a good thing. But it's also like, I, it might not be fully cooked. Like that's, you know, it's, it's uncharted. Like, so th I think that's really kind of where it became when I, maybe I started talking about shit like operational capacity. I mean, man, when I say I had some information from Globo Gym, like literally like this is how much money we want to activate per square foot and blah, 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 and large scale facilities, but not at like a smaller one. I was literally going to correctional facility like these are educational white papers that were written, written on correctional facilities in New Jersey about operational capacity and fitting X amount of inmates and cell size and all that shit because I couldn't find anything in the fitness industry about it. So that was, I mean, I remember that being like kind of scary. The only other thing, when it's math, math's never wrong. I put a rower, a barbell, a whatever, and I draw, I put blue paint around. I'm like, yeah, that's 125 square feet, fuckers. Like, that's the average amount of space a CrossFitter's probably taking up. I know I've been doing these workouts. So, yeah, I feel comfortable saying 125 square feet per person for the average barbell-based CrossFit workout is how much you're taking up in a class. And then I went into the spin studio, and I put the fucking tape around the bike. I'm like, all right, that's about 40 square feet, guys. Like, it's just no arguing that. Yoga mat, that's 32 square feet. Math really helps you because math is black and white, and nobody can argue the math on stuff. Yeah. So. And, and, all, and it seems like your mindset is like, I always have the next piece of content to provide context to yeah. this one. It's like, you're always focused on what is that next thing that even if I'm a little wrong here, I'm going to be less wrong the next time sure. around. Yeah. It either supports it or redirects it to the 2.0 version with more clarity or whatever it may be. Talk to me about the, okay. So, I mean, again, you start putting out the content you rebranded to Care Coach Lee. Where, where did that, like, you just, I know you didn't like Seven Figure Box. I know that sounds like something that Hermosi would have put out, right? Like, and for you, you're just such generally a nice dude. Where did this come from? Who came up with the idea? Walk, because I always love the significance of the title. Like, I love knowing where the naming conventions come from. So this came from Fit Town of taking our core values. We had six core values. We still have six core values, but, but turning those into three actions, um, turning those into something actionable first. We didn't know how many it was going to land on, but it ended up becoming three actions. And the actions are, are also like an order as well. So if you don't care, nothing, nothing else after that matters. You have to care first, right? So for caring for us is, is learning and remembering names, wanting to genuinely understand why a person is here, understanding their goals, all that stuff. And then from there, we have to coach. We have to make people better. We have to do the technical coaching. We have to dig into the the mindset and do all that stuff. And then we have to lead by example. We have to be the member in class that we want to be. We have to be working on our own fitness and nutrition. We don't have to be perfect, but we have to be working towards better with that. We have to be, you know, a genuinely nice person, carry ourselves well on social media. And 
we said, okay, that's, that's the three actions that we want to hold our coaches to is we want to care, we want to coach, we want to lead. That's what we want to do every single day. So we, we, we had those three actions. We're like, that sounds kind of cool together. And it rolls off we, the tongue well. Yeah, why don't we just translate that to everybody else? Why don't we just make that the brand, care, coach, lead? And, and, and that is what we want people to aspire to. I like it. And for everyone listening, you made me so happy, is that it all went back to core values. I'll get someone and we get, you know, they pay for a call. We get on a call and I want to spend time with core values because they don't have any. And they want to come up with branding for their fucking business. I'm like, you don't understand how important this part is. Like, it seems like fluff. Like, I'm sure probably when you're talking to owners and coaches and you're like, we need to talk about the core values and it's not something that's really well established at the gym. It's like, okay, this sounds, you know, we're going to talk about feelings. Is that what we're talking about? Like, it's so fucking important, man. It really is. I mean, you can make so many hiring and firing decisions based on that, you know, auxiliary programs. Like one of our, one of our original six core values was the class comes first because we understood that, you know, this facility is, is going to be group class based. And if, if we as owners, if we have as coaches, if our clients don't value the group class and they don't put that first, you know, when someone's working off to the side or a coach is deciding whether to jump into class or not, like, it has to be at, at the, with the forefront of, in our minds that the class comes first and we're adding value to that experience. So um, they can be super actionable things when someone says, can I do open gym at this time and, you know, drop weights? You're like, no, sorry. Yeah. For you personally, I've always thought about my own core values and I, I don't know if I have them all personally for just stupor hour and you, it, my core values for me personally should extend. You should be able to pick it up on WTF Gym Talk. You should have been able to see it a little bit with Urban Movement. You should be able to see it when I interact with my daughter. But I, I've, you know, I've never really sat down and like wrote them all down. I've always just kind of thought of like, that's who I am. I believe in these kind of things. Like I believe in that statement or I would apply that kind of statement. Do you have anything like that for you personally? Like when you think of like, okay, these are Andrew's core values. These are things that like I stand by it. And it would make sense if I told them to people like, oh, well, that's exactly his personality. Like, do you ever think about that? I haven't defined it that clearly for myself yet. You know, I, I grew up with goal setting. My dad was big on goals and he introduced me to Tony Robbins by, yeah. by listening to it in his car when he would drive and I would hear these stories and some of those stories stuck with me. Like the, the uh, Tony Robbins telling the story of Sylvester Stallone selling the movie Rocky is a really cool story and that one stuck with me for years. But, you know, goals was something that... What the, can you summarize the story? I'm not familiar. He was trying to se- he wrote the script for Rocky and he was trying to sell the script for Rocky as him as the star. So there was, he kept going to studios and a lot of them didn't like it, but the ones who did were like, no way, this guy can't, you know, he stutters when he talks, he can't speak good English and no way we're going to have him as the starring role. But he was adamant that if someone was going to make this movie, they were going to make the movie with him as a starring role. And he gets, he starts running out of money and he has to get rid of his best friend, his dog. His last thing was he had to sell his dog because he couldn't afford food. So he goes to a gas station. He sells his dog to some random guy at a gas station for like a few hundred bucks. And like within a week or two, he ends up selling, he ends up getting someone to commit to making the movie with him as the star. And the first thing he did when he got the check was he went back to that gas station and waited for the guy for days, hoping he would show up. And he did. And he bought his dog back, and that also included a, a role in the movie Rocky. That so guy. The, the guy that uh, he sold That's it back such to. A, first off, I did not know that Sly Sloan wrote Rocky. 
I don't know why. I don't know how in my like it, we grew up with the same generation. I have no idea how that has eluded me. That's a dope story, man. That's cool, and he he tells it way better than I do. But um, yeah, it's I a can cool see story. where that stuck with you though. Yeah. So what? Okay. So, so we're t- yeah talking about like goals. Like I've had goals throughout my life, and then I've had these gaps of time where I I haven't set really tangible goals. And this year. I've done something where my my goals looks more like a vision for myself in the next few years of, of who do I want to be? Who do I want to spend time? What do I want to spend time on? What are the things I want to achieve? But it's like very few of those things are, I want to make this amount of money or I want to be this, I want to do this type of thing. It's like, it's more on in the line of like, the, the vision of the dad that I want to be. I want to be present with my kids every single day. I want to tell it, teach them things that I wish I knew when I was a kid, right? And and starting to think in terms of those things, of the roles of my life, that is like foundational as opposed to like, oh, one of my values is integrity or honesty or family. Like yeah. I don't really think about it in that sense. I, and I don't either. Like the only two I've really landed on for myself are just zoom out first, speak next or think next. And I like, that's the one thing I always talk about. Like my one superpower, if I think I have one would be the, the ability to zoom out of a situation and assess it and then come back in. Like coach does this and I'm pissed as the owner. Okay. But before I even say that, I'm just going to zoom out and be like, I kind of didn't set him up for success. And that's kind of why he did these things. Like the ability just to zoom out. Cause we get so close to things like your significant other pisses you off. Your family member, you, you get into an argument. Something happens in the business. We, we react so fucking quickly. I've always been quick, like zoom out, assess. Can I, can I figure out the flow chart as to how someone got there? Even if they did something that hurt me or cost me money or whatever the fuck it may be, still be like, okay, I like, I might've done the same thing there, or maybe I wouldn't have done the same thing, but I can understand where maybe you did and, and whatever. And I, I'm definitely quick to see other people's point of view yeah. and give people the benefit, benefit of the, the doubt, doubt of that yeah. sense. Sometimes to a fault. Sure. You know, especially when you're trying to uphold a standard on a team and you're like, yeah, I I get where this person's coming from and and trying to be empathetic towards that. Yeah. And and the only other place I take that is when things are happening in our industry, like a COVID or this or, you know, this franchise is doing big, zoom out real quick and be like, before I jump on a bandwagon of any current thought process, really what's happening here? And can I find a take or an opportunity to have a riff on this that doesn't exist? And I think we all just kind of jump on things a little too quick. Castro getting fired, whatever it may be. And we just instead of like zooming out, like then the Castro thing happened. It was like, I, I like, I, I thought I'm like, fuck, don't fire the dude. Like, but then zoom out. I'm like, okay, he's been an employee for over 15 years. Find me anyone besides your grandparents that have worked anywhere for 15 fucking years. Like, it's just not likely. So the fact that he got fired from a job he's had for 15 years, that's more likely to be the thing. In year 13, you would have, if you were in Vegas, you would have had better odds that he gets fired soon than he doesn't. Because that's just what happens in today's world. Like, people don't stay with companies for 20 years anymore. That's very much like our, our father's and grandfather's age. Yeah, so I, I found that so, I, I dove into the comments and that, and it was so interesting to me how many people were, that was really important to them of him being, part of the company, part of the games. And and we don't know how he left the company. You know, it sounds like it wasn't, um, you know, it wasn't as mutual as was originally presented. You know, it's, it's funny to me, especially an affiliate owner that is not highly entrenched in the games aspect of it in terms of maybe their interest is, but their, their livelihood is not how hard it was for them to accept that news and how upset they got from that. And, 
and you you were quick to jump on that of like you know it's it's a distraction yeah who gives a fuck and then the last one is just like 99 percent of things in life can be funny like not like 99 percent of the things in life can be funny there's a lot of things that hit that one percent that are not funny 9-11 was not funny. Like, I mean, like there are some things that are just not funny, but 99, and that, I think that's, that also helps on the content creation side. If you're always able to like talk shit and laugh at somebody else, you have to be able to take it inward as well. And let someone else talk shit and laugh at you. And, it, and as long as, and I feel like I always had that kind of like, oh man, I want to make fun of fucking everything. Like I want to, I think everything almost is fucking funny, but then that means everything someone ever says or talks shit on me is also fucking hilarious at the same time. Uh, yeah, those are, I, but I think of my core values like in those couple of things. And I feel like I've got to have a few more. I just haven't really figured out what they are yet. Yeah, um, so for you, it's it's more of I get into these situations and it's it's almost like an action plan, right? Yeah, like an operating system for when I, I have to make these decisions or when I need to like, you know use my brain in the real world to come to a decision or, or just have an opinion about something. Do you think everyone's entitled to opinion? Yeah, everyone's entitled to yeah, an opinion. I, I mean, I, I'm I'm a big proponent of just you know the more ideas the better. Yeah, you know. So yeah, I think especially if if uh, with you having that opinion, you're willing to hear others' opinion yeah, and and, and and you know make it a real give a penny, take a penny. You 100. Yeah. percent Yeah, you yeah. got to be able to. That was one of my. I remember one of the first times I ever did like a speaking gig. Someone completely was like did not agree with something I said, and I wasn't prepared on how to handle that. And I think I said something to the tune of like, well, everyone gets to have an opinion. Anyone else? Like, it's just like, but I, like, there's nothing else to say anymore. Like, you just disagree with me. I think that's something, especially in social media and comment fights and fucking keyboard warriors, I'm okay with you not agreeing. Me and Isaac would get into this, like, hot and heavy. Like, there's every time it happened, we, you know, I'm like, yeah, she's probably gonna quit. I would have an opinion on something. She didn't share that opinion. And I'd be like, oh, that's okay. She's like, no, it's not okay. We know we have to come to, we have to meet here on this. I'm like, no, we don't. And the, I mean, it's not just business. And these decisions. were non-business these, stuff? These, yes, yeah. this was like, like, you could get political with it. You can get whatever. Like, you know, I think there's a lot of people, if they talk about like the woke, let, like whatever, they want you to agree with their position yeah. versus other people. Like, hey man, no, I get that you're really into the mask. I'm just not. Or I think this is legit or I don't think this is legit. And like, why does every? Why do we feel the need to make other people come to our side or like cross the line, Red Rover, Red Rover, and come to our fucking side and agree with our thing? Like I'm totally good with being like, dude, I think tempo's the stupidest fucking thing I've ever heard. I'm like, that's cool. Like, rock on, man. Like I've, no, I have no need. I don't feel like I'm not like I don't need to convert people. Yeah. Like yeah, I I just don't know. Like that's something in the the comments and the argument on social media. I just don't understand why everyone feels the need to convert somebody. Yeah, and a lot of people are just not willing to change their minds. Yeah. So it's it's baked into their identity. It's baked into who they are, this idea, and they're they're not really willing to change their mind. We have a lot of really good debates at our our, our amongst our coaching team at Staff the gym. Meetings yeah, and, and like I love that aspect of it. I love that like that's where you know you forge these really good ideas is when you can push back and punch holes in your ideas. And again, going back to the social media, that's one of the things that I find tough about it is you don't get that, or you just get people that are unwilling, and then you're, you know, you're engaging in something that is just really a fool's errand to, to do. And yeah, and it, it's hard. I mean, I'd be lying if I said I'm not ever trying to like want to be right or do that, but I do really enjoy that healthy conflict, and I do feel like I'm someone who's willing to change my mind. Yeah, it's so funny, but like if we again, if we zoomed out, we thought about like is there really any chance in hell that a comment on this Instagram post is actually going to be so meaningful? Like the words are so powerful. It's going to personally, 
oh my God, I never thought of it like that. You're right. Probably not. That's why I started inviting people on that segment of the podcast that may be wrong, but I doubt it. Just so yeah, we could argue. I love those. Yeah, just so we could argue it out because it's like, man, I, we're not going to get this done in the comments. Let's just talk it out because then at least then we can have mutual respect for each other. You know, tone is conveyed a little bit more. I think that's why I like audio messages because I think I sound like a dick when I type everything out because I just type like I talk, which makes you very unattractive if you talk like me. So it's like, man, I need audio and I need you to get my tone and I need to be able to have use body language or whatever it may be. I, th uh, I think there's a, a lot of silent lurkers too in uh, a social media where you're not necessarily trying to convince that person, but there's, you know, depending on who you are and your, your audience, hundreds or thousands of people or maybe just 10 to 20 people that are watching from afar and those people are willing to change their mind. Usually it's the people that are not engaging that are saying, yeah. Like, yeah. That's a really good point. That's a really good point. There are people that are watching whatever that argument debate that you're having in the comments or wherever you're having it. And they haven't really made a decision yet, which side they're on. And, and, you know, you, you presenting your opinion, but maybe that's, that goes back to the com uh, content thing. It's like, each piece of content maybe just needs to keep building on that original thesis that you had, you know, to help do that. Let's, I want to go ahead and I want to talk just a, a tad bit more about the rockstar coaching stuff. Like walk me through, cause again, I, I get your, the, the, the content and coach care lead. Walk me through that from a practical, you've got a lot going on here, dude. You've got kids, you're playing soccer, you're working out, you've got a family. I remember when I thought about doing it, I made some moves with the business in me that allowed me to, to be untethered and go all in on WTF. How did you have to approach that with your staff? I'm like, guys, I'm going to be doing a thing. I'm going to be trying to grow this other revenue stream, this other option, opportunity to help people that might take me a little way, a little bit from here, or you might see some of my videos. Like how, how did you kind of think about that with all the other hats you're wearing? Yeah, I'm, I'm still way more in it than I am out of it in terms of fit town. There have been times where I've been out of it more and just depending on where staff is, you, you talk a lot about you're always one or two staff members yeah. away from being pulled back. So we had a coach, two coaches that are a couple. They just recently had a baby less than, or about yeah. a month ago. Two other staff members that are currently pregnant, one that's going to have their baby next week. So There is something in the fucking water here. Am I going to get water. fucking pregnant from this water? Yeah, I'm, that's that's I'm, that's the special I'm, one, the I'm core. Pro I'm probably going to get pregnant from the this water. The core water right there. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I've been thrown back in the business yeah. and, and, um, it's been really tough for me because, you know, I've, I've really had these aspirations and, and I've done the work on myself to go, you know what, this is, this is my calling. This is my like zone of genius. This is where I want to be. I like that and, zone of genius. I like that a lot. Yeah. I stole that from conscious leadership, I think, which is a really good resource. But once you have an understanding on that, even though I still enjoy coaching a group class or, or running a sales console or being in a programming meeting, like, and I feel very valuable and useful in those situations, you know, if I coach three classes in a row, it's very hard for me to not feel like, but I'm not getting to this and I'm not getting to that thing that I've, I know that's where I want to be spending my time on. It, it hasn't had to be yet a lot, any, like anything of, you know, me communicating a lot to our current staff of like, Hey, I'm not going to be here or anything like that. And then the other thing is they, they also work hand in hand, the, the care coach lead so much of what we built out really helps us here. It helps like help us develop our weekly coaches meetings and what sure. we're going to work on for coaches development. You know, our coaches listen to SOPs, the podcast, all that stuff. We just hired two new coaches and they're going, the first thing they do is we get them through the 12 week rockstar coaching course. And we meet with them every single week and we put them through the same process that we're delivering elsewhere. You're to, eating your own food. Exactly. Yeah. So that I'm, I'm a big fan of creating these 
synergistic, you know, businesses, if you're going to have multiple businesses or multiple revenue streams that are more synergistic than they are separate. Yeah. I'm, I'm really at a point now where I've kind of decided where like, I don't want to be thrown back in the same way I was these last four to six months. And I'm going to find a way to find the time to fully commit myself to care coach lead. Even if it's still like, I mean, I work a lot. I enjoy work, but I've simplified my life too, where it's, it's work, it's family, it's, it's fitness. And then it's soccer once a week. Like that's the only thing I do. I don't really spend time with, with friends. That's not a family oriented thing where, you know, we're going to the beach with another family with the kids or something like that. So I've simplified my life around that and, and I love it. So I do still work a lot and I I'd love to still have the 10 to 15 hours here a week. It's kind of like the laboratory. So I, I found that when I've separated too much, because I have had those moments before back in with the seven figure box, I ran out, I ran out of really good ideas and useful information to give to people. Cause you weren't I, in the business. Exactly. Yeah. So I think you have to find that balance, but you also, you can't put yourself in a situation where balance looks good when everything's right on your team, but you don't have enough of the layers there or, or enough of the, uh, contingency plan where you're you're always one coach away from being thrown off and then you can't give this other business what it what it deserves so in a perfect world if we could you know add the the hr buffer back to kind of remove you out what would your what what is like that day look like because i remember thinking about that for wtf like what is my day actually what do i want it to look like to to grow this other entity kind of scenario because i knew what my day looked like as crossfit south and like i mean i've been doing that forever but i had to i had to kind of construct a new day I don't know how long, like, do I shoot videos in the morning? Like, what do I do? Do I do like research Facebook groups to see what everyone's talking about? Like, do I read box pro magazine? Like I had to rethink my entire structure of a day. Have you thought about like, okay, once you get this HR thing, you get re, you know, uh, staffed up to where you're not having to be on the floor as much right now. What does that look like to, cause I'm assuming this is what I care coach Lee is ideally what you want to be spending more of your time on. Yeah. I, ideally I'd like to still do an early morning workout here. Cause that makes me feel good. And that gets the juices flowing yep. and, I don't necessarily have to be the one coaching to give our coaches feedback and then to learn and find situations to create content off of. And then I really want everything else before noon to be content creation or sales and marketing. And that could be social media posting, social media commenting, conversations. But that's where I see the evolution of this. You know, I, I work good in those early mornings, especially after a workout of getting that most important stuff done. And then anything after noon can be more of the meetings and the other stuff. That's, that's where I'm looking to go. Is everything you're doing now hands-on or is there any like uh, learning service module, like an MGU or anything like online course where someone could be like, Hey, I can't come down and work with you in person in immersion, or I can't afford to be on a zoom call with your guys, whatever that costs, whatever, like, is there, do you have, do you have like a low bear, like a, an information the LBO or something like that for people? We actually just started a cohort of the rockstar coaching course and started last week. That is access to teachable. We have the teachable uh, course built out. So it's 12 weeks, 30 to 45 minutes of video content, quizzes, and then an exercise each week. And so that could be done completely on their own. I'm doing it as cohorts because it's, it's also, it's the same way I think about the lab here. It's the lab there. Maybe eventually it is completely self-guided. And I started self-guided and then I shifted back to the cohorts. Mm-hmm. I love the cohorts because I'm making the course better each yeah. time. And then I'm learning what else do we need to support the course? Maybe additional courses in the future or things like that that we can build off of. But this is really that initial 
framework of how to think about coaching and learning some of those softer skills for coaching that you can then piece every other thing that you learn in the future off of it. So yeah, weekly group calls and then individual coaches can be a part of that. But what I find most is that I get gym owners that want to sign up their entire team because this becomes their coach's development yeah. system. So often, so often the, the people that I work with is a gym owner that thinks and coaches like we do here at FitTown, but they haven't gotten their staff to that. And they have no system for doing that. So they align with our beliefs and some of their staff does, but they want a, a full staff that looks like a replica of yeah. them. I run people through this, this branding exercise where I'm like, okay, cool. Like we're working on you figuring out exactly your brand a little bit more. Pick a couple of your competitors. Like the people that honestly, like if they don't buy from you, they're going to go and buy from these people. Now let's put them here and then, but I want you to list like what makes you different than them. Cause if we can't like pretty much kind of the same thing, we have blue colors and they have purple, like then we're in trouble. We need to like go back to the drawing board and think about that. How do you think of care coach lead as it relates, because again, like you, there's people in the space, there's a mad lab group or an active life or whatever. And I know like you're obviously you're fully, you're, you're so immersed in this, you know, ecosystem and people know who you are like, you're aware of who else is in your ecosystem to professionalize coaches. How do you think of your business and what is the difference? And I'm not looking for you to like to bash people or whatever you can, if you want, how do you view what you're doing differently in that space? If I were to put you through that exercise, I'm going to take this moment to just bash everyone. <laughs> Um, but Let's yeah, the, the, pe the people that I look at, I first look at CrossFit and, and growing up and th or growing through the CrossFit model, I've done level one, two, and three. And a lot of the, uh, SME courses, I'm like, yeah, CrossFit's so good at the technical side. I think they actually are really great at that. Um, despite the bad reputation of getting people hurt, I think they teach how to coach an air squat, how to coach a deadlift as good or better than anybody, I think. I'd agree. Um, but they have, you know, they, they have these six attributes of what, what makes a great coach and they talk about presence and attitude and group management yet they don't really talk much about presence and attitude and group management it's just kind of like yeah do that thing too um they focus on the other four a lot which is you know the scene and the correcting and all those things you know as i did all these certifications i would sometimes go through a certification where i would see a coach more often than not because i had i had an understanding of it but i didn't put it into words yet I would see a coach go to a certification and come back a worse coach. Interesting. They would be a worse group class coach. And, and so one example that I don't think is meant to like call someone out, but like OPEX is an example of this where, yes, they have a great education. I, I do like OPEX, but OPEX tends to bash on the group model or they place individualized programming on a pedestal, I believe. And they're not looking enough about, at, from my perspective, at buy-in, excitement around fitness, what's going to get someone to actually follow through. And in my experience, the group class setting is, is pretty incomparable for getting a large percent of the population to actually enjoy fitness and follow through. Yeah. And I place a high value on that. So we would see coaches that would start to look down upon the group class setting after an OPEX certification because they didn't understand, they didn't have a mental model to piece that into. So the Rockstar Coaching Course is that mental model to piece it into. Our foundation is the cheerleader role and the director role. Those are the two foundations. The tech, third one's the technician role. So that is what most people think of the coach. But the foundational role, the cheerleader, is not just good job, guys. That's, it's not that at all. 
it can be good job stew at times. Sure. You know, great job keeping your shoulders back stew yeah. at times, using your name, talking to you individually, getting, you know, getting connecting in your personal space in a in a comfortable way. But it's relationship building. That's what it is. It's getting to know the person on a one-on-one level. It is a micro role. Cheerleader, people think of it as a macro role. Macro meaning we're addressing a group of people and we're getting the group excited. That's not it. That's the director. That's the next one. The cheerleader is I care about you as an individual. I'm your teammate in this thing. I want you to succeed. And that's how I'm going to support you. You need that foundation. And then the next level is a director. That's the logistics. That's the operational capacity. That's the clock, the music, the staging. Right now, you, you mentioned this is for our competition. This is not for our competition. This is just this is quo. We cleaned up the whole competition. We set up for Sunday. Got it. We're staged for tomorrow's workout, ready to go. This is what it looks like. And every day has a different flow. Yeah. But it's staged in a way where you look at it and it makes sense. It doesn't look like it did yesterday, but it makes sense for today. So you have to master those two roles. And like, I, I actually love, like, I love Dr. Sean and what he's doing. We use the active life movement assessment for our gym. And we teach that to our trainers right from day one. When someone comes through our 40 days to fit, they do an in-body and they do movement assessment to start every session. So I love what he's doing. But again, I don't think he's talking enough about how the group class, how excelling in the group class and having that framework of, you know, these softer skill roles or, or the non-technical roles, maybe a better way to say it, how they fit into a long-term trajectory of a really successful coach in a micro gym that is group class-based. Out of everyone that's doing it, like the people that we were talking about, who, who have you been, maybe not inspired could be the word, or somebody like, man, I'm doing it different, but like if I, w- if I was interested in doing it like that, I would do it like that. Are there any of these other organizations that are like, and it could be in other, it could be in other industries too. Like what do you think about perfecting technicians, professionalizing the technicians of fitness industry? Who do you look at and be like, man, they're doing a badass fucking job. You know, have you ever like, you know, I didn't mention Sean, he's doing something different. Have you ever like reached out to another, someone who's doing what you're doing similarly and been like, hey, we kind of have different flavors here, but I, I just want to like collab. Like I get where I'm going with this is like competitors and colleagues, right? Like that yeah. kind of thing. Yeah, I, I see I see Active Life more colleague than competitor. I see CrossFit more colleague than competitor. Two Brain Coaching, so Two Brain opened yeah. up a division. I mean, I've had them on the podcast, so like, I don't see, I don't see it in a negative way, but they're more competitor, I would say, because they're, they teach very similar to the way I teach. I would say Jason Ackerman with uh, best hour of their day, more competitor. You know, I could see someone's likely going to do that or this Sure. where I think a great like liberal arts education for a coach would be a CrossFit level one an active life and a rockstar coaching course. Like that to me is a great start for a lot of coaches and if you were to ditch any of those three, I would ditch the CrossFit one. I think us and Active Life is a really good pairing that we we talk about different things, but there's a lot of overlap in in in, in having both ends of that coin. How many live experiments do you have out in the wild right now? Meaning groups that you've worked with, owners and their staff, and now they're there. And now you're kind of you know you're. You know, you're checking on your experiment as it goes on. I mean, like I've got clients that I worked with, you know, I tell them when I have a catch and release program. My goal is not like, I'm not trying to work with you for forever. I want to work with you, get through these problems. And then I want to, you to go and, you know, run your business, your fucking self. You know who to call, like when shit pops off, we can get on a call per quarter, whatever the fuck you want. But I'm always like checking in on my my projects, I guess you'd call them. Like, like I'll call a climate, like, you know, maybe we did this comp plan or we, we did this thing or that or rebrand. How is it going? Because like, 
we, we're like we're like winding up these toys, right? Winding up, and I set it down. The little monkey just keeps walking down. But then I like turn around and go look at this. But I need to check that it fall over. Is it still going? Like, what's going on with that? Uh, have you had anyone come through your system that is like now months or months removed from it, and you're able to start seeing how it shakes out six months down the road, eight months down the road, that kind of thing? Yeah, I don't have a ton of them because originally it was self guided. Yeah, and I didn't. I honestly have not done a great job of following up with those self guided ones. And we've done a few. Of the co. This is actually the second true cohort that we've done. And that last one was in the fall. So I have, a few, you know, four or five gyms from that one. And I mean, but the biggest shift that I see initially is the confidence with the next coach. So it's kind of like a price race in the sense of it can be very difficult with your current staff to get them to be 100% on board with the Rockstar Coaching mindset in that outlook. But what we tend to see, which, and it happens very quickly, is a gym owner goes, oh, I get, like, of my five people on staff, these three should be on staff. These two should not be. There can be some negatives at first if, if you like the status quo of things because you're generally going to be, you know, kind of, like, pulled from the, into the matrix or out of the matrix to be like, okay, like, I understand how these people are really hurting our team, hurting our, our culture. But what's great about that is when you then bring on the next coach, you are so much more equipped and then you have a system to run them through. So it can be this like grassroots thing where you have to then, you know, you raise your rates. Yeah. Maybe you didn't raise it all the way up on grandfather rates. You got them part of the way there and that's great. You're making more revenue per month. But where the magic happens is when now each new member comes in at the new rate and then you start to get, 30% of your membership there, 50% of your membership there, 70% of membership, they're like, oh, okay, that is awesome. And that's the experience we had here as well. If Rockstar Coaching got up to a monthly revenue run rate where you're doing 20000 a month in it, how would any of this look different? Or would you just be like, well, I like, would you... Would you ever need to be like, I don't know, I need one of these as a laboratory. I'm having people come through every single month. Like, like have you ever thought, like, when it gets big what do I need to do different? Because I'm always thinking about that with WTF and beginning. That's why like, I was super precise. I do not want this to become a business. This needs to be a job where I literally, I'm contr I control the restriction. Like, I won't take you on as a client if I, it's going to go over 40 hours a month. Like, that's it. That's all I'm going to work. How have you thought at all about the growth of this thing and how you would control it or restrict it or expand it and how, what would it take over? Like, obviously, mine, it took over CrossFit Southam. The day I had the, the, uh, the finance guys cut off my salary, no more pay for me, was when I knew that I was never, I wasn't pushing WTF. Like, I was not pushing it to grow because I didn't have to because I had money coming in over here. And it wasn't until that. And also, if I'm going to go 100% in there, I need to free up money in my own business to pay people more, to hire more people to do that. So it was, like, was dual-sided. How do you think about, all right, this thing grows. I want this thing to grow. When it does get there, does it impact this at all? Like, what changes here? I don't think a whole lot changes here. I definitely want to have some immersion experiences in order to pull that off. I think we'll probably need another bay somewhere that has like a little mock gym set up that we can it. shoot content, that we can do breakouts, and we're not only limited to open gym or when there's nowhere going around. Yeah. I mean, even now, we have hours of the day that we don't have classes, but there's very small windows that I can count on recording without. Yeah. 
something dropping or, or That's why I was waking up at three in the morning to get into the gym before like 5am started. Yeah. Yeah. If, if everything were to go really, really well, and I were to feel like confident about things, we would likely have two more locations. So one about 25 minutes South, one about 25 minutes North kind of anchor yep. the three, nothing too far away. And the coaches that would run those gyms are the coaches that come through this course and that stand out, right? This becomes the, the way to filter great coaches that need a home. There would be that. And then for me, I mean, I, I see, you know, having a, a, a place that we could shoot content, my goal would be to keep growing that educational library to help connect the dots to a career. Because this, again, this is a great foundation it becomes a great filter to run an OPEX through, to run an active life through, to run any certification through this outlook on coaching and career roadmap. But it's not that I don't trust other people. It's just that I want to, I don't want to leave things to chance. If I, if I want to help a coach create a career, I want to be able to provide all the tools in the toolbox for that coach to do it. And I don't want to just say, well, go do this thing and hope that that person does a good job with them. I want to make sure that we're doing everything within our power to give the coach the, the tools to develop that career. Now, if you went north and south and you had this one here, that would be three. Would you then, you talked licensing. Would that be something at some point, would you license to other locations? Would they be corporately owned? Have you thought that far ahead? Licensing would probably be the route we would go. I, I've heard some of your stuff on licensing versus franchising. And I like that at least with what you did, it was not just the CrossFit license. It was like, we're going to provide the tools yeah. to run a really good business. It wouldn't just be like, I don't think the name is the valuable thing. I Correct. think it's everything else that would be valuable and all the things that we could get. I think there's a lot of really good coaches that are also decent managers. That Those are the people that I usually interact with that could run a really good fit town model where we can take a lot of the business side off of their plate. And yeah, I could see us licensing to those people. And especially if their team has already gone through our course, we know they have a rock star team. Then it becomes easy because that's the biggest, that's the hardest thing Who to you do, put in there. Right. Yeah. That, that would be, you know, if everything goes well, that's part of the vision. I love that. It's uh you know, as a side note that I mentioned earlier, you know, from what I hear, you don't need to use CrossFit anymore in a name. And as soon as I heard that, again, I like zoom out. I'm like, why would they make that decision? I'm like, oh, they're about to add more value to the license in the form of business education and systems and tools and probably member management software or something, CRM or something to that effect would be my prediction. Because you just yanked. Like, why would anyone pay $3,000 if you're not going to use CrossFit in the name? Like, it, Besides people like us that just want to pay an well, homage to co it. Correct, but we used it but we used it in a name to develop our reputation, get all the SEO, establish the business, and now that we have it, we don't need it anymore. And that's the thing with a license, is like that was my fear. I've talked to Jason about this, board thirty, OPEX. At a certain point you're like, nah, we're good. We're standalone. If I take the name off the door, I just save money every year. I'm not actually gonna lose money every year. So I think that would be, if I'm CrossFit and I'm Berkshire Hathaway, like that's my thought process. Like, okay, yeah, you can change whatever name you want. We're going to add so much other value in other areas. And I know they're starting it with like fucking cap and like they've got a, they've got a little handbook now, business handbook that they give out. But that would be my guess. That'd be the future escalation of it. But I, I love that future plan for you, man. I think that'd be fucking dope. And it, again, I it, like, I always think of a business as, okay, what's the ascension? And like one feeds into the other. So it just kind of becomes this nice, good, continuous loop. And it's like, well, do we open another location or license it? Like, well, no, let, let these guys, because they need somewhere to 
fulfill this career opportunity you pre- with the education and the experience you presented them as a coach. Uh, I, I like that a lot for you, dude. I love, would you, would you stay in Florida? Yeah. You, is it, this is home base for you, not going anywhere? Well, well, actually, my family, I mean, one of our aspirations is to do do more traveling, but to do it as like a month or two at a time um, yeah. in places. Um, I definitely see this as home base. I mean, we're a family of four. My brother has a family of four. My parents, we're all within a, a mile of the gym and that's really cool. And, yeah. and we have grandparents help. So yep. with the kids at the ages that, that they are, you know, it's hard to imagine being away from grandparents because we do get, you know, a decent amount of help from them. But yeah, I think being able to just travel more and to spend like, do like a, a Tim Ferriss four hour work week, yeah. mini, mini retirement in these yeah. places. You know, that London experience that we had was so impactful that, you know, having another one of those, we're really trying to do one this summer, actually, that would be the, the chance to just kind of get away and, and figure out where, where we want to direct the next five to 10 years of our life. I love it, dude. You mentioned earlier that, uh, you know, you work out, you work, you have family, and uh, you play soccer once a week. You don't, you know, there's not a lot of free time spent uh, doing other shit and you giving up time to sit here with me on Saturday and invite me into your awesome fucking house and, and spend time, whatever, man. It means the fucking world to me. I'm just coming down here on a whim and I hit you up and, and you made yourself available and I, I cannot thank you enough, man. This Thanks was, so much for having me. I mean, I've seen a list of people that you've had on with uh, K-Star and, and Sean. I remember and, sending you a text. It was like last year. Uh, it was like it was like 2020 or 20. Uh, we, we were going back and forth at DM about this maybe a, a year and a half or so ago, and I always wanted to make it happen. And it just I just never found myself in fucking Jupiter, Florida. So uh, as soon as I did, it's like I absolutely 100% want to because I think what you've done down here, I've always, I've always had nothing but the utmost respect um, for anyone who – makes content and talks, but they actually walk, like you've actually done it. Like that's the other thing that I think makes it easier. We talked about that earlier, actually having done the work. Like it actually like, yeah, you don't believe me? Like here's the address. Come on down and take a look at what I fucking built, dude. It's like you can stand on the success, which gives me the platform. And I may still be wrong, but at least I've earned the right to, you know, stand up and speak type scenario. So Andrew, man, I I appreciate it, dude. Yeah, I want to thank you really quick, Stu, because actually before I had... I mean, we were successful with the gym, but you didn't know who we are. I barely had started the podcast, and I made a trip up to Charlotte. It was a family trip, but I was like, I'm going right by Stu. Yeah. I know Stu, and, and I reached out to you, and, and you made time for me on a Sunday and showed me around Urban Movement. We got uh, some drinks next yeah. door, and, and you had no idea who I was at that point. You know, I think people might see, you know, you're, you're shooting the gun on social media, you know, starting these fires, but, um, you know, I've had nothing but great interactions with you and you making the time for me when when you've had way more of an audience than I could ever you know way more value than I could ever sort of bring you in return in that respect and um yeah I've really appreciated that dude you're you're stand-up dude I'm looking forward to hanging out ladies and gentlemen Andrew Frazzo my man thank you dude Thanks, this, dude. this was dope